MMATorch.com. We are also on iTunes. Feel free to download us uh, for free on Twitter and Facebook. Just look for The Audio Choke. Like every single week. I'm Greg Rowland. I'm Tobin Shelby. I'm Matt Collins. Let's get right to it. What happened? Fedor lost. No! And I would like to make a note. Uh, here in Anchorage, Alaska, the sky literally turned purple. After Fedor's fight, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think that might have been a result of low cloud cover and uh, a, a late setting sun, but uh, also might have been because Fedor lost. Yeah, it could have been an omen. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah, there are a couple statues, uh, you know, crying blood as well. I'm not a weatherologist or anything, so I can't say for 100 percent certainty. But you know, who it knows? had to have been that. And uh, I can't remember if it was on a forum I saw or some other uh, like websites or podcasts I was listening to, but. Uh, also important to note that Fedor was recently named to the cover of an EA Sports video game. Ooh. Well, now even more people know who he is because now he's lost. Like, that has probably shot his popularity up 200%. However, his stock has dropped 300%. This could be the first time where a loss makes somebody more popular, yet less viable as an athlete or as a, a commodity. Well, that's an interesting note, Matt, because most of his popularity, I would say 99% of it, comes from him winning. It's certainly not from his attitude, usually, uh, after the wins, because he doesn't really show a whole lot of uh, charisma like Verdum does. Yeah, yeah. I, do, I do like how Verdum, pr- uh, uh, pre-fight, was described as charismatic, and we, we were all watching together, and we were like, eh... And then we thought about it, like, well, compared to Fedor, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then it turns out Fabrico Verdum is very uh, very charismatic. As but it turns if, out. if Fedor had won that match, I don't think that any more people would have found out who he was but or, you know, known the name Fedor Emelianenko. Now that he has lost, however, right. then it's just set, in, uh, set the MMA world on fire. And the, now The Internet basically broke Saturday night. Yes, I mean, it shattered. Yeah, I think all of the major MMA websites just were... Uh, Got killed with uh, hits and everything like that. But um, yeah, it's how can we wrap ourselves? How can we talk about this in a way that hasn't been, you know, mentioned, you know, a million and a half times by now? Well, I don't think we can, honestly. I mean, I just like it was just such a bizarre. Even it's important to mention, like last week during the build-up, we we talked about on the podcast and all the MMA, you know, major MMA news and blogs and all that. We're basically saying it's like, oh, it, like no one. I don't think anyone picked Fabricio Verdum. Like. Everyone was like, yes, he's very good jiu-jitsu, but it's Fedor. He sat in the guard of Antonio Noguera for, like, a full full fight in pride twice and beat him. Blah, blah. And then, yeah, the Internet and the MMA world just lost its mind Saturday night. So. Well, would you say it's a little premature to say that Fedor sucks and is completely washed well, up? Or well, is that easy there, statement? White. Easy there, Dana White. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Eyes with a capital D. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is the thing that bothers me more than anything else. And I think it's a result of me uh like reading comments on blogs and stuff like that. Uh but uh yeah, it's like there's no middle ground here. It's if people who are like believe uh Daddy Warbucks, Dana White is all knowing and all wise are like, Yeah, this proves exactly what Dana said, that Fedor sucks and you know, people who are, you know, the clingers on to like old the glory days of pride or Fedor himself or whatever, just like, well, you know, it happens to everyone and he's still the greatest fighter of all time ever. And like, there's probably some middle ground in that Fedor is still considered the greatest heavyweight of all time, but probably not considered, is not considered at this point, today's top premier heavyweight. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, Certainly he's got to be the greatest of all time, much like, you know, one could say that, 
Matt Hughes might still count as the greatest welterweight of all time. George St. Pierre is certainly catching up to him. Right. It's just a matter of accomplishment at yeah. this point. Is. Um, but Matt Hughes is not the greatest welterweight now. Right. So, yeah, I mean, th- there's certainly no argument for anyone being the greatest heavyweight of all time better than Fedor. Uh, I mean, even, like, Noguera, who had a great career and mm-hmm. started earlier, you know, he dropped off and he spent a long time at number two while Fedor spent a really long time at number one. But, you know, this loss, even though, um, you know, it, it could have been a fluke kind of deal, Fedor's best thing was that he was so consistent yeah. in winning. I mean, a lot of times he fought people who were lesser competition than, than what some other people were fighting, but the fact that he always went out there and won made up for it, as opposed to people who would fight top-tier competition all the time and would sometimes win, sometimes lose, like Noguera, who usually won, but every once in a while would lose, um, Fedor was always winning, and that's really what set him over the top there. Yeah, and I mean, certainly in the last years, the criticism about his competition has grown kind of more, uh, uh, gotten louder and louder, and, and uh, to a certain extent, justly. But I mean, you got to remember uh, back when he fought in Pride and killed, you know, was dominating the division, heavyweight division in Pride. That's when Pride had the world's top heavyweights. And granted, Pride's world top heavyweights now are like, you know, guys who many who could be considered one-dimensional and such, but you got to remember that Noguera in his prime was still over there. And, it, it you know, it's who he fought who was relevant at the time, and then you can't, like, look back now and be like, oh, well, like, even a decent heavyweight now would clean up most heavyweights from five, ten years ago. That's not the point because, you know, it, right. it, it's all relative. Well, I think most of the criticism of Fedor started after the demise of Pride mm-hmm. in 2007 when he fights... Matt Lindlin and... uh Man Choi? Yeah, yeah. Some of these guys. I mean, like, with Tim Sylvia and Andre Arlovsky, he got some of that credit back. But even then, like, both of those guys have looked pretty poor since then. Yeah, which, which definitely hurt. I mean, because a lot of it is, you know, and I certainly don't, don't want to come out as the guy who's just, like, criticizing Dana White, but a lot of it is Dana White is the most vocal, has been the most vocal critic of Fedor, and he's, you know, this guy's got, like, a gazillion followers on Twitter. You know, he's on at least two or three MMA websites every day with some sort of outrageous quote. I mean, <laughs> people care about what Dana White says, whether it's, you know, grounded in some sort of reality or not. And, again, it's not to be like, oh, Dana White doesn't Some of it about. seems sour grapes. Well, and you got to remember Dana White's a promoter as well. Mm-hmm. Why would he, he – and he – yeah, and certainly he's been very vocal about he wanted Fedor in the past. He couldn't get him signed. So you got to just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. Just weigh that with any criticism Dana White has. Uh, is important important to note, but uh, yeah, no, it was uh, what a what a weird night it was. I just uh, and I'm still processing it and stuff. And uh, I th- we were watching the fight, and I think about 20 minutes before or 20 seconds before Fedor tapped, I was gonna say, you know, huh. I was gonna try and you know like top. He, he just he just did it once. He just did it once, which is weird. It wasn't like any sort of like multiple tapping. Or he anything. knocked. It was just like once, like you got me. But like I, I think I said like you know, I was watching and I was like, you know, if Ferdinand wins this fight, I'm gonna freak out. And then it happened, and I didn't. I think my exact quote was, I said, wow, somewhat loudly three or four times in a row. But um, I, I think it was just the way it went down. It wasn't like a the, – the the only other thing I can compare to upset-wise is obviously um, Matt Sarah GSP. But that was such like a striking visual, visual of GSP who everyone had basically is like, this guy's going to be the greatest welterweight of all time, blah, 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 and then just gets his face bashed in by Matt Sarah who had won a reality show and – hadn't really been that impressive in doing so in he just you know knocked this this the next guy out you know the next big thing 
put him on his back and just pummeled him. And this was just like a, a prolonged submission attempt, and we were like watching it, and then Fedor got out at one point of the arm bar and then got caught in the triangle, and we're like, okay, oh, his head's turning red, and he tapped. Yeah, well, I don't think this was quite as bad as the Matt Sarah George St. Pierre one. Not so much due to the people that were in it, but the way it went down, mm. where Matt Sarah was, for the longest time, uh, uh, known as a grappler yeah. uh, with very limited striking ability. And all of a sudden comes out and knocks out George St. Pierre, who had been knocking out fools for quite a while. Uh, as far as I know, that was the first knockout on Matt Sarah's record. Um, I can't think of any that went down before that. So, uh, you know, I think that was what made that such a surprise. Nobody thought that if Verdum would win, it was going to be by a knockout. It was going to be a submission if Verdum won. Right. He won the way everyone said he could. And granted, no one said he was going to win, but they're like, if he won, like, as if it was a hypothetical. It's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We all know Fedor is going to kill Fabricio Verdum, and it'll hit like 30 seconds, and then we'll talk about how awesome it's going to be to see Overeem and Fedor fight. But if Verdum, for some reason, wins, it's going to be by submission. Yeah. So I, I think it's uh, it's a little less shocking than some examples because of that. Yeah. But still just the fact that Verdum beat Fedor, especially when uh, Verdum is a fairly one-dimensional guy. I mean, he's got decent striking, but, I mean... The uh, the brief time they were standing up, he got pretty much owned for like that like five seconds until he flopped down on his back. Yeah, I mean the the first bit of that fight went exactly how I thought it was going to go in Fedor's favor. You know, it's like okay, Verdum's did it, trying a little bit to stand up, and then Fedor's uh, flurrying on him, and then he you know Verdum smartly went to the ground, uh, so he didn't take more damage and hopefully get Fedor in his guard. And then even when Fedor got the got caught in an armbar and then escaped ish, but then went back in Verdum's guard was kind of, I mean, that was like, I, I guess that's the big thing, not necessarily the upset win, but the, the fact that Fedor, like, kind of appears to have made a, a mental lapse. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes uh, over-aggressiveness can hurt you. That's yeah. why a lot of fighters have been playing overly defensive, and Fedor is known for being extremely aggressive, and, uh, you know, he likes to be a finishing machine, and maybe he thought he had Verdum hurt because, I mean, he got him down with strikes, it's possible that Verdum just played possum and flopped down to his back because that's really where he wants to be anyway. But maybe Fedor thought he knocked him down and had him, uh, you know, had him all dizzy. Mm-hmm. So I could see uh, maybe he got a little outsmarted there. Yeah, but uh, what a. I mean, because, again, I go back to last week when we were talking about this and just what everyone on the internet, the news were saying about, you know, like. Okay, this is just like, you know, kind of the next step for to set up Fedor over him. And everyone was a little looking past Verdum, and I don't think it was like a disrespect to Verdum's skills at all. It was just like everyone's just like, yeah, Fedor's the greatest heavyweight. Verdum doesn't have anything new to offer him, blah, 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 blah. So there wasn't a lot of, like, I don't think anyone had, like, the buildup. They're like, oh, this is going to be, like, this is Fedor's big fight. You know, it's just like, oh, it's another Fedor fight that he's going to win. That sort of thing. Like, it, it, uh, I guess you might as well compare it to this upcoming weekend Brock Lesnar, Shane Carwin, where the, the outcome is not as predetermined as everyone, you know, the, like there's this build, like, oh, who's going to do what? You know, how these their skill sets match up against each other? There's more of that, that big fight feel where this one, it was just like, oh, it's a showcase for the world's best heavyweight. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was just a... Uh, it was a shock, you know. You can't, yeah, you can't yeah. let that underdog go, you know. Yeah, exactly. I thought about it a couple times last week, and I should just, like, I should just go. Yeah. You know, why not? If I, if I'm <laughs> wrong, it's not gonna like you know. You'd be kind of crazy to vote for that, but 
you know, just go for that underdog sometimes. Well, he, he was a 5-1 to one underdog, yeah. and, uh, you know, some people put some money down on him, and, uh, man, they were pretty happy. I hope he put some money down on himself, man. He would uh, he would have made some uh, people happy. serious bank. Apparently he made, uh, I don't know if you guys saw the photos backstage, apparently uh, Forrest Whitaker, big fan of uh, Fabricio Verdum. <laughs> yeah. He is now, yeah. Doing the... Uh, <laughs> Doing a little uh, W sign backstage. Well, that could have been for Whitaker also. They could be in a movie together now. Buddy Cops. Yeah, uh, finally. Goodness gracious. But, yeah, I mean, it really turned the, uh, in a weekend when no one really expected it, it kind of turned, like, the MMA world uh, upside down a little bit, you and, know? And the best part is that Fedor just doesn't care, you know? That, that's what's uh, that's what's really impressive. Cause, uh, and props to him yeah. for, like, I wish I had that kind of, maybe it's, maybe it's part culture, you know, maybe it's just him not be not having a soul. I don't know. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever. He is a cyborg, man. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, they, they don't all necessarily have souls. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the interesting thing. I mean, I, I, for me, that's part of the interest of Fedor, or my interest in Fedor. Of course, you know, a guy who hasn't lost in, like, ten years, that sort of thing, who has, like, this impressive ability to finish fighters and, and play to their strengths and still beat them it, it is all part of it, you know. But part uh, another issue for me is, you know, like, all the hype that surrounds Fedor as far as, I guess not all of it, but a lot of it comes from his management people around him. Like he's, and we've talked about this before, Greg, I know you've brought it up, Fedor's never talked about like his legacy or that sort of thing. Like interviews with him are very like, you know, like, oh, I fight because I'm good at it. I fight for my family, that sort of thing, uh, for my country. It's none of this like, um, you know, he, he never seems to come across as the guy who's like, I, I know I'm the greatest fighter in the world and I only want to fight, you know, people that will help build my legacy as cement my legacy as the greatest fighter of all time, that sort of thing. So I mean, part of that's just really, and, and I don't know if that's just him being super humble or if he just doesn't like talking about it or what, but it, that's kind of interesting that a lot of the uh, the talk of legacy and the mystique of Fedor comes from people who are not him. Yeah. And Speaking of M1 Global, though, <laughs> wonder how they're feeling right now. Are they Have they killed themselves yet? Are they, uh, what, uh, what's going on there? But, yeah, they're, uh, man... That that's that's the intrigue for me right there because yeah Fedor's post fight uh, interview wasn't much different from had he won you know honestly yeah he had that little quote that you know he who doesn't fall can't stand but I mean other than that that was nice that was cerebral I wonder if, if he a- even said that yeah <laughs> <laughs> I don't even, we don't know we don't know maybe he announced his retirement and they were just like oh, no we're not gonna say that <laughs> yeah yeah he's probably had that quote in his head for the past like five years just yeah. in case he loses and and finally got the chance to spit it out. Yeah, but M1 Global's got to be, oh, goodness. I mean, because everyone knows Fedor was their bargaining chip, you know? like He was, were, he was all they had at yeah, this point. Yeah, they were able to get marqueed, yeah. you know, uh, because of Fedor. Yeah, and, and certainly they have other fighters that some of them might be, you know, good. But, I mean, they had the greatest heavyweight of all time, man who had not lost in 10 years. They could use that as, like, their go-to. That, that was their trump card, you know? And um, they don't have that. Some of the mystique is worn off, so now he's just one of the world's greatest heavyweights as opposed to the world's greatest heavyweight. So, um, but certainly as far as bargaining power goes, that sort of thing, I think they, they've lost a bit of that. And, you know, I don't know if that means we're going to see Fedor in the UFC at some point or if that means that we don't have to see Strikeforce slash M1 Global anymore, if they can just be Strikeforce cards again. Uh, who I, knows? I would love to see Dana White go to him with, like, a briefcase full of money, you yeah. know, and be like, all right, yeah. give me Fedor and you can have this. Because they're probably not going to see a huge amount of money or, you know, the potential for 
the masses amounts of money that they've had now. Right. I think it really does depend on how he bounces back from this. If he bounces back, there's you know, like the week leading up to the fight, there's talk about, you know, is he going to retire soon? That sort of thing. Is he going to get into politics? What's going to go on? And, and now it's, it's really that much more intriguing, you know? Um, I do find it interesting that Fabricio Verdum was the first person to mention a rematch, hmm. which was that, – that's just – that right there is perfect, a perfect example of how much respect uh, – I would hope many other fighters, every, other heavyweights, at least Fabricio Verdum, had for Fedor. You know, like there was – like he basically turned down an Overeem fight. A man who's already beaten, by the way, might be yeah. part of it. But he was like, I want to fight Fedor again, you know? Let's, let's do it again, which is, which is great because I – you know, well, you know, what if he beat him twice? Then yeah. he could uh, he could have that for the rest of his career. He could just beat him twice and then retire. Yeah. Oh goodness gracious! And uh, man, Overeem looked pretty upset afterwards too, because you know Overeem was the guy who wanted to be. Everyone wants to be the heavyweight who beat Fedor. So now Overeem was like, okay, for um, Doom, Great. that guy, <laughs> the guy I lost to already. What? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but. Interestingly enough, this kind of makes the strike force heavyweight division a little more interesting to me, at least. Because before, it was like, oh, Fedor is going to beat Verdum, then he's going to fight Overeem, and then who knows, is he going to... Then he's going to leave. Is, he's going to leave, the UFC is going to try to get him again, he'll end up in King of the Cage for some reason, <laughs> who knows. King of the Cage slash M1 Global, you mean. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, but now it's kind of on its head, you know, like, I mean, it sounds like, you know, Fedor said he'd be interested in a rematch, of course, I think everyone... Kind of thinks you know uh, the you know a guy who hasn't lost in ten years has the has the right to avenge his first loss that sort of thing. But then I mean, you also have Verdum who just beat the world's greatest heavyweight. Uh, he could he's earned a title shot with the Strikeforce heavyweight champion, a man who he's already beat in the past. I mean, uh, and what was his quote? It was like basically Overeem's just holding my belt for me or something like that. Yeah, keep awesome. it warm. Yeah, which is which is nice. I mean. Maybe he should just get it by default since he's already beaten them. Yeah. MMA math applied. Great time to be a mixed martial arts fan, like especially yeah. with a huge shakeup like this. And in most sports, you know, with uh, when the dynasty crumbles, you know, everyone's really chomping at the bit, and there's great, you know, fights, great potential for for good stories and everything in the future, and it's it's exciting. Yeah, well, I think it was a piece over on Bloody Elbow that really kind of caught my eye. It was posted the night of or the day after, but it was called uh, 2010 MMA Strikes Back or something like that. Basically, they were talking about how, like, you know, there's been some good fights this year and everything, but a lot of there's been a lot of stagnation with the the top, the dominating fighters in many of the weight classes. You know, we had uh, George St. Pierre and Anderson Silva, who, you know, have not lost recently, being criticized for not being more than, more aggressive or this and that, you know. And there ha- we hadn't had this turbulent era recently, you know, of like, you know, when, when we had the Matt Serra upset of, upset of George St. Pierre. You know, this had been a more stable slash boring time in MMA until we had, you know, skies turning purple. Yeah, after just now. Out. And then yeah. I wonder when those great pedigree um, fighters, you know, over at the UFC or just around, you know, see this, is that going to make them fight less aggressively, even more so than they have been? Is this kind of like a warning to the champions, to the the top dogs of the sport, to uh to be a bit more careful when you're at that kind of level? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think kind of legitimizes like, oh, I think it was George St. Pierre after the Dan Hardy fight saying how he, you know, yeah, he he fights cautiously. I mean, uh, I think that it does lend credence to that because yeah, I mean, people love Fedor for his ability to like fight aggressively, that sort of thing. But there you go. I mean, that's so maybe we'll see more grinding, you know, know. As, as time goes on. Well, grinding is only, it only works for certain people. Um, I mean, grinding has to be, 
your style. I mean, if you're a better wrestler than your opponent, then, yeah, you can take them down and hold them down. But, you know, I mean, Anderson Silva has been criticized for being boring lately, and he was not grinding at all. He was, uh, you know, just standing there and dancing in front of his opponent. And there's some guys, you know, like you're never going to see uh, some people grind out a match because that's not how they're going to win it. They, they uh you know, they, they want to stand and bang and, you know, throw bombs because that's, uh, that's yeah, the what they're going to do. Yeah, the Lesnar-Carwin fight, I'm sure we're not going to see. Lesnar, I could see, you know, trying to t- trying to drag that one out. But, I mean, I, I couldn't imagine Carwin trying to drag that one out. I mean, he's going to be the one there throwing the punches, uh, trying to knock Lesnar out in a hurry because that's, that's what he does. You know, Lesnar went three full rounds once with Heath Herring and just brutalized him for the entire time. And uh, I could see him going for that style. But um, it's like Frank Mir is another example. You never see Frank Mir grind anyone out, uh, win or lose. He uh, he does it pretty quickly as a general rule. Um, but, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of the guys, if that's their particular thing, Rashad Evans is another example, he can certainly be accused as a grinder, um, uh, especially in his last couple of fights since he had the knockout loss to Machida. Uh, you know, it's been takedown. Guy gets back up, takedown, repeat kind of deal, which uh, not too exciting for a lot of the fans, but, you know, it gets you the win. And really, as far as the fighter is concerned, that's probably the most important thing, especially once you're at the top. When you're at the bottom, you're only getting paid $10,000 to fight, mm-hmm. but you can get a $65,000 fight of the night bonus. That might be another story. But, um, you know, when you're at the top and you're making $100,000 and then another 100000 to win, it's probably better to just go get that win. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, I definitely interested. I mean, been interested to see the Lesnar Carwin fight. And I think you know, with this happening with Strike Force over the weekend, it makes me more interested to see. Because I mean, honestly, you know, the, the winner of this could be considered like currently, you know, the number one ranked heavyweight. You know, whoever wins the uh, Carwin uh, Lesnar match, so be interesting to see. But yeah, I mean, Matt, you brought up brought up a good point there about you know we're gonna see more fighters. Being cautious and you know up at that echelon, yeah. I mean, uh, where obviously you know Fedor was top dog for so long, and then just to see him kind of fall in this very undramatic fashion, you know, it was kind of ho hummy, you know. I mean, the 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 the, uh, uh, the thing that happened afterwards was huge, right, but right. the fight itself was kind of like what? Yeah, you know, at people at that kind of level. You know they may uh, may decide to be more more cautious from now on, or maybe yeah. not. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, keep on going with the strike force. Right. Uh, I should make a quick note that bloody elbow uh, article I referenced. Uh, I totally got the idea wrong of that. It was uh, two- <laughs> 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 Yeah. No. It was. Uh, yeah. Like I said, the the MMA strikes back in 2010, but it was the idea that last year was kind of the year where things had were really stable, and then beginning in this year, we saw more un- instability. Yeah, like BJ Penn falling. Right, with and B- 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 BJ Penn losing, and um, Anderson Silva and George St. Pierre taking heavy criticism, deci- despite the fact that they had won their fights, that sort of thing. So this is this kind of been the year where we've seen a more turbulent time in MMA, and it's been capped by Fedor. So. Any more Fedor-y stuff, or do you want to come back to that later uh, on? One thing I'd like to throw out there, you know, you mentioned uh, you don't know if this is going to bring Fedor to UFC, which I think is a definite possibility. He's got one more fight on his current contract, so mm-hmm. he's going to have to do that, whether it's uh, Fabricio Verdum or somebody else. Um, but 
I also have to wonder now if Dana White's going to try and get Verdum back into the UFC after something like this. Because uh, Strikeforce doesn't really have champion contracts. I mean, they, for all practical purposes, just lost Jake Shields. Right. And he was currently their champ. And uh, Verdum is not currently their champ. I don't know what kind of deal he signed with Strikeforce, but he's had three fights since he was over there. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's a free agent or if he's going to be one soon. And, uh, you know, Dana White cut him after losing to Junior Dos Santos, which uh, at the time looks kind of like a bad loss. Like, who the hell is this Dos Santos guy? Turns out now he's pretty damn good. Uh, but nobody really knew that at the time. Uh, also, Verdun was asking for some more money, which played a lot into it, too. But you, you beat the guy who uh, Dana White's been talking all kinds of smack for, for about three years now. I could see Dana White wanting to bring back the man who has uh, toppled Fedor. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just interesting. I mean, the the thing with the UFC and the fighters who they can't get or, you know, that sort of thing. You know, uh, I mean, when you're in with the UFC, you're in with the UFC. Dana White's usually very complimentary, that sort of thing. But if you, you fall out, if there's a fallout or anything, you're like, you, he, that guy was garbage. He was never any good, that sort of thing. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I could see I, I could see definitely Verdum going back to the UFC. Um, and then, you know, if he loses, then, then Dana will, of course, apply MMA math, of that yeah. sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see. I, I, I don't want to cite Twitter as a source, but I believe um, – <laughs> I saw it might have been Josh Gross over at Sports Illustrated who follows, follows MMA over there uh, talking about I think Verdum signed a three had a, has a th- three more fights on his contract. Okay, but uh, I'll I'll double check that to make. Because uh, I could also see that as a possibility that if Verdum were to go to the UFC, Fader would quite possibly be right after him. Yeah, um, because you know especially now with the uh, with the loss and uh, a lot of the bargaining chips for M1 Global are gone away, I think Vador is still worth a lot of actual money, Yes. which uh, the UFC has been more than willing to throw at him. I mean, they offered him a $30 million contract for six fights, which is $5 million a fight, which is more than they've ever given anybody, even once you count the uh, the pay-per-view stuff that they've given, like Chuck Liddell and Randy Couture, and those guys have made like $3 million. Um but five million a fight uh, as a flat fee is an incredible amount of money, and you know they were willing to make some other concessions for M1, but they weren't going to do the co-promote, right. which you know is ridiculous. But maybe now that he's lost the invisibility, invincibility, even though he's still quite possibly the best, so he'd go on a streak and be ranked number one again. Even if he got you know an impressive win or two, I could see people saying like, hey, you know. Fedor may have gotten that loss, but he's still the best. Mm-hmm. But he's not a superhero anymore. Right. And that, in and of itself, I mean, there's going to be one more Strikeforce slash M1. But I mean, even if Fedor ends up in Strikeforce, I wonder uh, if the slash M1 is going to stick around. Right. If they'll renegotiate again. Yeah. It's really. I, just think about this and the whole the whole upset factor in general. I mean, it, it seems kind of weird that that's the way it seems to go with like these seemingly, uh, you know, like the Anderson Silvas and GSP. I mean, they both lost to guys who no one really gave them a shot. I mean, Anderson Silva got, like, a, lot of a flying, like, ankle locked on him or something ridiculous yeah. like that to, like, Rio Chonin or something, I believe. Well, that was also before Anderson Silva was the superstar he right. is now. But just, like, these really improbable wins. Uh, and, you know, I guess BJ Penn, and uh, you can make the argument for BJ Penn and, uh, you know, even Leona Machida, people are like, oh, these guys just aren't going to lose anytime soon. And the people who they didn't hadn't really been given, uh, no one really thought they had a legit shot against the champions, ended up, you know, pulling these these 
these upsets, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, most people thought uh, Shogun won his first fight against Machida. And but that came people, as a huge surprise. Right, and that came as a huge surprise, but most people still pick Machida in the rematch. You know, it just, it's crazy. And, you know, honestly, if Fedor and Verdum rematched, you know, next week, I'd probably pick Fedor again. It's, it's, it's craziness. But uh, we, sh- we should talk about other strike force happenings and then talk about this, this UFC card coming up. All right, up so then, uh, Frank Shamrock, then Kung Lee, or Kung Lee, then Frank Shamrock? Um, let's talk about Frank Shamrock a little bit. Yeah, yeah. they kind of go hand in hand, so I think either way it's a good segue to the other. All right, well, let's, let's go into Frank Shamrock. I'll, I'll say flat out, when I first got into mixed martial arts, Frank Shamrock was my hero. He was the man, yeah. He was, he the was man. awesome. He was he, so good. He was taking these p- people who looked pretty darn good and just destroying them. Um, and then, you know, he had some other fights in the UFC that went longer, but he was still undefeated. He he retired from the UFC undefeated and, unfortunately, talked a lot of smack and didn't fight. I think he could have been a, a major factor for a much longer time had he stuck around. I mean, you look at his last fight. He, uh, he, he beat Tito Ortiz, who went on to have a reign of terror for the next yeah. few years after that, and... Uh, they added weight classes shortly after that, and Frank Shamrock would have gone down a weight class to uh, 185, likely. And I really can't imagine a whole lot of the 185ers in the UFC beating him until maybe, you know, Rich Franklin came around. I, I could see a possibility there, but, you know, I have no idea how that fight would have played out. But Frank Shamrock could have, in theory, been uh, one of the longest champions in the UFC history, unfortunately. But he uh, quit. Yeah, yeah, it's weird because you know he announced they did like the little, the little promo piece on him Saturday Night at Strike Force, and he announced his retirement at the uh, the uh, the Shark Tank, which I guess that's you know basically his home turf there in San Jose. Yeah. And uh, you know it's easy to kind of like at this point in Frank Shamrock's career to be like, oh, he's got braces, that sort of thing. Kung Lee broke his arm, but yeah, it, you got to remember like what he did in the sport earlier on, and it's just kind of weird because he was he was huge in the UFC. At a time that was during the dark ages, where the UFC yeah. just wasn't on people's minds, it was like you know after the UFC first started off, and they had all the issues with you know being able to be even on pay per view, that sort of thing, and it was just you know you still can't get those on DVD in America or anything like that. I mean, nah. So he's just and he, they had the falling out with the U, he had the falling out with the UFC, so the UFC just uh, has not been willing to like really acknowledge him, you know. Because he'd easily be in the uh, not like it matters, but easily be in the UFC Hall of Fame had they been. On oh, the definitely. Terms, you know, I mean, he's, so. he accomplished a lot more than his brother, who is there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, he was. Uh, you know, you could say I, I think I would say that he was probably the first like true mixed martial artist mm-hmm. in this sport. Um, I mean, obviously the sport was becoming a hybrid thing um, for a while, and there's other guys you could kind of make the case for. Uh, Randy Couture is an example. Um, because, I mean, he had kind of some wrestling and some boxing going on. Vitor Belfort supposedly had jiu-jitsu, but we never saw it. Um, but Frank Shamrock had a really good ground game and was really working hard on his uh, on a striking game. He had all the, the conditioning and everything down. He had a, a really good team after he left the, the lion's den. And um, he was doing all the right things to, you know, really put together a, a huge title reign. He was one of the few people who was actively learning at the time. Um, most people were just trying to learn jiu-jitsu or trying to be a wrestler, and he was already the jiu-jitsu slash wrestler guy and was working on his stand-up. And, 
Yeah, I've got nothing but good things to say for him back in the 90s. Right. It's just a shame how it went from there. Right, yeah, it's, it's always kind of weird, and I think that's going to be the case with a lot of, you know, once some of the uh, the old school MMA guys, you know, once they finally hang it up, that sort of thing, people are going to, and, and I think long term people remember their accomplishments for what they were, but like it's the immediate aftermath, you'd be like, oh yeah, you know, he was, he was washed up, blah, 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 and then, you know, like once you've had a few t- years to process and sit down and look back at it kind of more objectively, you're like, oh yeah, no, this guy did really contribute to the sport, that sort of thing. It's like the uh, the Michael Jordan effect, you know. Like Michael Jordan, greatest one of the greatest basketball players of all time, if not the best. Um, but he ended his career with like the Washington Wizards, and it was horrible. Yeah, and, and mixed martial arts doesn't have near the amount of history, history. than any other sport right. does. Give a little, you know, more time. And right now, you know, people's memories are still extremely shallow because yeah. a lot of people are like myself and just getting into the sport, you know, in, in an active way within the past. Five years. Frank Shamrock was never on the Ultimate Fighter. I don't. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, now I've I've been aware of it right, since right, you know yeah. the '90s, and I remember watching Frank Shamrock fight and everything like that. But you know, it's still a really young sport, and it'll it'll get there as long as you know, maybe hit the 20 year mark. You know, and the fans just keep on maturing, getting older. Then the uh, you know the history will will be there one day. Yeah. No, that's a good point. So yeah, Frank Shamrock. It was. I mean, cause, like the whole the whole ceremony itself during Strike Force was kind of silly, and you're like, he's narrating his own retrospective. Kind of uh, like Frank Shamrock. Yeah. You know? He's obviously a guy with a really big ego, yeah. and you know, he's got as he should be. You know, yeah. he's a fighter, and you know, it was kind of silly, and it could have been. Yeah, but yeah, but it's nice. To, I mean, you got to recognize his accomplishments, even if the the whole ceremony itself. <laughs> They're going to force like, you to, I guess. You right. know, a lot of people retire all the time, but. Mm-hmm. He, he was just lucky enough to have a job there. Right. So uh, speaking of Frank Shamrock and people he's fought recently, or you know, people yeah. he, he's fought. Kung Lee, in, uh, yeah, Kung Lee taking out bug-eyed, crazy Scott Smith. <laughs> <laughs> you, you haven't noticed like <laughs> Scott <laughs> Smith, just like his eyes just look always oh, so open and intense. Like, uh, well, and go back. And I never, I never thought about it. Yeah. It hadn't really occurred to me either. I'm going to go check that out now. I, I should have said something. Yeah, I As of all the things yeah. I said, that's the one thing I thought yeah. about. I believe like, I'll a, save, yeah. save that for later. Pretty sure his official nickname is Hands of Steel, but uh, bug-eyed crazy Scott Smith also <laughs> works. Yeah. That's fine, whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, Kung Lee avenged his only MMA loss. Um, looked a bit like the first fight, only he actually won and didn't gas out, and Scott Smith didn't break his face. So. Mm. Yeah, well, and he actually put Scott Smith away, which is the thing to do. Yeah. If you can finish him off before the third round, yeah. you know, then kudos to you. It's, it's that third round that he's dangerous. Yeah, and once again, Scott Smith's showing a susceptibility to uh, body shots. I mean, you know, that's he lost his the rematch. The, his second fight with Robbie Lawler was ended on shots, knees to the, mm. the stomach. Uh, I mean, and you know, even the fight he won against Pete Sell back in the UFC. I mean, he basically got crumpled backwards by a kick to the body. You know, and. Um, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Scott Smith is a fun fighter to watch, but you're just like, this guy, you know, his defense just isn't there. He's, it doesn't seem like he's interested in putting up much defense other than, you know, blocking headshots. I think what he needs to do is put his hands down in front of his body and just take it all on the chin because he seems to be okay at that. Right. But, uh, no, and, and, you know, honestly, Scott Smith had a better game plan in that first round. He was keeping closing the distance more on Kung Lee, and Kung Lee was not able to get off as many of those, you know, kind of like 
showy, over-the-top uh, yeah, kicks. He, he only landed one or two kicks the entire first round. Right, but it was with the second round where Kung Lee kind of found his range and was able to throw some of those more, more kicks and was able to land more frequently. So Yeah, w- when he, he landed that kick that ended up being what led to finishing the fight, I was watching Scott Smith go back, and I was thinking, he's going to lunge forward, Yeah, but he didn't. He fell down. Yeah, I kept I kept waiting for it, but uh, it didn't happen. And that's just like that's not even like a fanboy thing. That's just a natural reaction to watching Scott Smith fight at this point. You're like, no, every any minute now, he's just gonna he's just gonna knock this guy out for no reason. Be fine. But um, yeah, the other interesting thing, I mean, Kung Lee didn't really not like he needed to, but he, he didn't show much more on the ground than he has in the past. I mean, there wasn't he just basically if he went to the ground with Scott Smith, he was basically holding them there to land strikes. He didn't seem to have any interest yeah. in pursuing any sort of submission or advancing any position, which, again, he didn't, in this fight, didn't need to do, but it's just like, you know, as a, as, he didn't show much more progression there, I guess, is the thing, other than, you know, overall he showed improved cardio, that sort of thing, but as a, as a fighter, uh, there wasn't anything from Kung Lee that really surprised me, technique or skill or anything like that. No, I mean, he, uh, I guess he hit him harder, one yeah. of the things, I mean, he did the same thing, but, yeah, I mean, I don't expect him to ever be a submission machine. Right. It's kind of like Krokop, who even now that he's rattled off two submission wins in his career, uh, they're, they're both kind of against guys who, uh, you know, really suck when it comes to defending submissions. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's possible Kung Lee is going to score a submission win at some point, but I would imagine that all of his wins are going to be by uh, knockout or decision for pretty much the entirety of his career. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is, what, what does Strikeforce do with Kung Lee now? Because, I mean... He was away for so long doing movies. He's still doing movies, so it's not like he's going to be a consistent fighter. They want to do. They're, they're talking about that middleweight uh, tournament to establish a champion. So it's kind of, you know, could they get Kung Lee to commit to something like that? If, you know, is he going to be around for that much longer? He's 38. I mean, what do you, what do you do with him? Is he just that kind of like special attraction guy you bring in when you can and don't put him in against, you know? Contenders, that sort of thing. I mean, it looks like he's probably not going to get much better than he is now. Yeah, I I didn't even realize he was 38. I would imagine he's going to be in the Kimbo Slice position, where it's just like, you know, like you said, just bring him in here and there. Don't put him against somebody you're going to try and give a title shot because he might screw that guy's title shot up. But he's also not going to get a title run himself. Right. So you know, bring him in. I know he's a huge draw in uh, in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. With um so. Give him fights when you're in the area and he's available. And, uh, you know, he'll put on a show and draw some people. But, yeah, I mean, just like the level of competition he's faced. I mean, Scott Smith is, I think, arguably the best fighter he's fought. Um, You know, he fought Frank Shamrock, not in his prime, of course. But, I mean, yeah, so, I mean, you know, I don't see Kung Lee progressing up that ladder to fight uh, against different competition. or, Or if he did, I don't know how he'd fare. But, yeah, I think the idea of, you know, Strikeforce would obviously like to keep him around because he is, you know, he does bring that extra draw when he does fight. Um, but yeah, I mean, just with his commitment issues because you know of the movies, that sort of thing. What what can you do with him? We'll have to have to see how it plays out. You know, we we might not see him fight for another year or something yeah. like that. So. I don't think that Strikeforce should do it because it would ruin their, uh, you know, title hopes perhaps. But right. I think a fight against uh, Robbie Lawler would be awesome. Yeah, that could be, that could be fun. Cyborg V Snuggles. Oh goodness gracious, that is it's it's cuddles. Yeah. Oh dang it. <laughs> but yeah, what what can you even say about that? It was a massacre. It was. It was uh, like controversy. Was... Should there be some? Oh, I could talk about this for a while, but we already 
talk like a bazillion minutes about Fedor. But yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> first of all, I think that's the first fight I've seen where one fighter gets a point subtract, subtracted from them in the first round and still wins arguably by two points. Like, that could have been a 9-7 round. I'm not saying it was, but, like, that was pretty bad. And, like, Chris Cyborg lost a point, and you're like, in a normal fight, you're like, oh, this round's going to be a draw. Nope. Yeah. No, she still won the round. Which yeah, is crazy. she still won the round. Um, but, yeah, I mean, she really put it on Jan Finney. And um, before we get into, like, the the ins and out of the fight, uh, you know, or, like, the aftermath, anything of that, got to point out, it is important to note despite Jan Finney getting totally beaten up and, and uh, bullied around by Chris Cyborg, she landed the first shots of both rounds, and actually, oh, I mean, she didn't land many, but like in each round, she was the first one to, she she was able to hit Cyborg, and granted, that was basically hit her, and that really just like unleashed the uh, the beast, and she, you know, Chris Cyborg re- responded uh, in quite devastating fashion, but uh, I mean, Jan Finney was able to get through with uh, the few punches she was she threw. Oh, that's which, awesome. Which, which is interesting to know because you know. I think that that gets missed under what else happened there, and yeah, it is kind of. Well, I I don't think that Cyborg's thing has ever been that she's impossible to hit. I think it's that she uh, takes it well. Yeah, yeah, takes it and hits you a lot harder right. back. Um, I'm not surprised that she got. And yeah, I don't even remember the first shot of each round, honestly. Right. But it doesn't surprise me to hear that you know she would get hit here and there. Uh, would have would have surprised me is if she got out muscled. Right. Well, I think uh, uh, yeah. I, I guess my point there is like you know because Chris Cyborg is really tearing through the women's division, uh, and and it is it seems to be because of she has that ability to take those punches, so uh, and then be able to respond with such devastating fashion. But it's not necessarily because she's like oh she's got like this amazing amazing like stand up boxing skill. It's like she just takes a hit well and punches back way harder. I kind of look yeah. at her as the female version of Vanderlei Silva in his prime. Where he, I mean, he got dropped actually just about every fight he was in. He just recovered really well. Hmm. Um, but, she, you know, she just takes the punches better, and it's probably the fact that she's not getting hit as hard as Vanderlei was. But, um, you know, like, he wasn't very technical. She's not very technical. Uh, she's probably more technical than he is. Uh, but, you know, it, it's a, a physical brutality thing more than it is um, technical superiority. Right. Vanderlei Silva fought a lot of guys who were probably better than him, like overall, if you you weigh their skill sets, but he just massacred them because he was a beast. Yeah, he's, got that, he's got that viciousness in him, yeah. Yeah, and I think the same thing kind of applies to Cyborg here. And, um, you know, I, I think I talked about and mentioned it during the fight. I thought it was kind of really interesting that, you know, I, I think Finney got knocked down at least four times in that fight, and I don't think Cyborg once followed her to the ground. You know, she, she'd flurry and throw some hammer fists, that sort of thing, which... Uh, we will get into more in a little bit that yeah. Finney actually covered up and didn't really take that much more damage once she had been knocked down. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, C- Cyborg <laughs> didn't. didn't pers- like, yeah, she never like jumped into her guard. Uh, well, it, or like even when like Finney was basically turtling up, like Cyborg wouldn't even go for like a rear naked choke. Which I mean, so and again, not like Cyborg needs to be a submission machine, but I thought it was just kind of interesting that like clearly Cyborg doesn't need to go to the ground. She's killing her opponents on the on the feet, but it's just kind of interesting that she's just not willing to even, like, even when she's so badly beating up her opponent that she's just not willing to engage, it doesn't seem on the ground. Um, I, I found that kind of interesting, and I, again, not like she necessarily needs to become this, you know, submission ace or anything like that, but it's just like, you know, the evolving uh, uh, fighting style, and you know. 
There, there's no need for her to evolve, right. though, yet. I mean, there's nobody that she has faced. Right, until, some, until someone, it's basically until someone can do something against her. Why does she need to adapt? Yeah, so. Which, I mean, she, you would think that she should become a better partner, but, I mean, if it's working out, then, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, I guess. Right. Well, I mean, but I, I, I've seen fights before where, like, a, a, you know, someone's kind of dominating their opponent or, or, or winning winning the fight clearly so they they'll, they'll try and mix things up they'll try try out new things that sort of thing um you know we'll see wrestlers who are you know can clearly are getting the takedowns kind of work their stand up a little bit if they're not worried about getting knocked out by a guy and they're clearly winning the fight they'll they'll try different aspects of their game out and again not like we need to see that from cyborg but again just it, even when she was so totally dominated point and not willing to engage on the ground yeah well so. there's also something to be said for the people who who want to get the knockout more right. than the submission um, I don't know that there's anyone who's like, man, I really need to get a submission in this fight. But there's a lot of people who really feel the need to get the knockout. It's just got that extra little something. Yeah. Um, That's a better highlight reel, honestly. I mean, yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, there's been some submissions out there, like the flying heel hook mentioned earlier. The, yeah, there's some great highlight submissions yeah. out there. But Inverted triangle chokes, all the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. as a general rule, um, the, the knockout is going to make for a better, you know, Highlight clip later on. Yeah, I don't know if the UFC's released Ultimate Submissions yet, but they have Ultimate Knockouts 20 or Actually, something. Actually, they so. did release uh, Ultimate Submissions 1. Oh, okay. Like, eight years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's announced by uh, Mike Goldberg and Rico Rodriguez before wow. he was the champ. Wow. That's, uh, that's interesting. I'll have to check that out and like, see what's on there. Guillotines. Guillotines everywhere. Yeah, you know. All right. So There's now, only one yeah. of them. <laughs> so now we get to get into the fun stuff. And, again, maybe we just shouldn't read the Internet before we do the show. But, I mean, a lot of, uh, you know, different websites, that sort of thing, like, oh, is this a black eye in women's MMA? Was this too brutal? That sort of thing. And I'll admit, you know, I think we were all watching it like, uh, this is kind of unpleasant to watch. But for me, it wasn't like, you know, like, oh, women have no business in the cage or anything like that. It was just like... Or a women's fight should be officiated any different. Right. It was just like, I think, and we talked about this before the show, I think a lot of people's kind of, like, some people have been really upset about this online, you know, different bloggers, writers, yeah. that sort of thing, been like, oh, this is ridiculous, that ref should never be allowed in the cage again. And so their that, problem was, was that you know, Cyborg was putting such a beating onto right. Cuddles yeah. that, uh, <laughs> that it, it should have ended uh, long before should, should the it fight did. Have fight uh, been stopped sooner, and you can certainly make that argument, and we might disagree here, but then overall, and, and again, this is me probably just reading comments on like website posts and that sort of thing, which I need to stop, stop doing, but it, I don't know, I kind of get the impression that a lot of people who, who thought this fight was like egregious and like a black eye in the sport of women's MMA, that sort of thing, uh, in general, just uncomfortable with women's MMA, MMA to begin with, and I, I really kind of, I don't like broadly painting that brush, but I mean, or painting with such broad strokes there, but I mean, that, that seems to be, and I'll admit, you know, I, not that I'm uncomfortable with it, but just because women's MMA fights is something we don't see on such a regular basis as, you know, guys fighting, I think there's this level of uh, it's, a, it's, it's still an alien concept to a lot of people. And not that it's bad or weird or anything like that. It's just not what we're used to. And so, like, when we've seen we, – like, we've all watched MMA for a while. We've seen some pretty mm -hmm. brutal beatdowns between men. And, and group, I don't think yeah. – yeah, and you're like, oh, maybe they should have stopped this sooner, that sort of thing. But at no point, like, I was like, this is an outrage and blah, 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 blah. And, I mean, and sometimes where that brutality comes in is when somebody's already out and, and then just getting shot. the S kicked out of them, you know, right. while they're lying there right. defenseless, which did not happen right. to no. Jan Finney. Yeah, she that, was not defending well, but she was defending. That's the thing. Like, she was never knocked out. Right. She was still – 
fighting back. Yeah. She was getting her ass handed to her. But you know what? Watch when Krokop fought uh, Noguera back in 2003. Yeah. That was a brutal ass-kicking for 10 minutes. And then Noguera came back and won. Um, so, you know, could that have been argued to be a 10-7 round? You know, I've never heard of such a thing. But, yeah, yeah, that could be argued because um, that was a royal ass-kicking. But, you know... While I could see the argument for stopping a fight because I've seen fights stop for less, I can also see the argument for letting it go because I've seen fights go through much worse than that in terms of um, the actual cause of the stoppage, not just the sustained damage, because she did sustain a hell of a lot of damage, but she was still fighting. And I've seen you know guys take unnecessary blows a lot of times while all of those shots were necessary. If Cyborg had just stopped... Cuddles would have jumped on her, you know. Uh, it, it wasn't like she was not in the fight anymore. Right. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I was thinking about it. I'm like, uh, I, I've been more concerned for the health of Scott Smith in his fights than I was for Jan Finney. Um, and, and, yeah, uh, the, I think the knockdowns are a big portion of that because they're so it, it looks bad. And certainly, punching the face hard enough where you fall over backwards, that's bad. But, I mean, she she recovered very quickly. And, again, she was defending herself not necessarily well, but she was doing it, and she was, you know, meagerly going for that leg, the single leg. Her wits sort of seemed thing. to still be about her, right. you know, yeah. the, and, the basic yeah. fight or flight, and she was doing her best, you know, to keep things moving forward. She had to be reminded right. a couple times yeah. to fight back, but if she yeah. hadn't, then they would have stopped the fight, right. and, and that would have been just fine. Right, and I actually thought the ref, uh, Kim Winslow, I believe is her name, and I, I thought she did a pretty decent job with that. I mean, some people, a lot of people complained online, that sort of thing, and, and I understand that, and again, you know, whatever... You know, I don't know, mate. I don't. Yeah. I don't think so. Like, I don't see why we would have why anybody right. should put a different standard to yeah. women's martial arts. You know. Yeah. I mean, because again, she was covering, she was defending, she wasn't, she wasn't out of it, and wasn't unnecessarily hits to an unconscious opponent, anything like that. And yeah, I thought Kim Winslow did a really good job of talking to both fighters throughout that fight. You know, you know explained to Jeff, was like, hey, if you don't do something else, I'm going to stop this fight. And uh, you know, we got to remember, she did deduct the points from Cyborg in the first round for. Uh, you know, bl repeated blows to the back of the head, that sort of thing. So she was she was on top of the action. Some people might have not cared for it, and I don't know if that stems from just not being accustomed to or liking women's a women's MMA. Uh, I, so I'm not sure where that comes from, but it, it just seems like I was kind of surprised at like some of the the online like outrage after this fight. Uh, it should be noted uh, I was on uh, MMA Junkie earlier, and um, Jan Finney did sustain a broken orbital bone, which is not. Uh, I mean that that. That hurts and that sucks, but uh, not life-threatening. That's that's not an abnormal injury yeah, to obtain. I, we, that we've seen that in plenty of other fights. That just so. happened to uh, Brandon Vera in his yeah. last fight. Yeah, so so not, and I don't know if anyone was complaining about like, oh, Brandon Vera's not going to be as pretty after his fight or anything <laughs> like that. I don't know if anyone was calling for outrage about like, yeah, well, oh, John Jones is a beast. Don't let him in there with those other uh, like heavyweights. Brandon Vera wasn't too pretty anyway, though. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I think also part of uh, what may like be setting the blogosphere off on this one is the fact that, you know, three minutes into the fight, I don't think there was anyone giving uh, Jan Finney right. the, the, the chance to come back and win, even though, never say never, once again, you know, looking at the Noguera-Krokop fight. Yeah. Uh, but then again, Krokop's also known for getting the crap kicked out of him for ten minutes and then coming back. Well, even Noguera, a lot of Noguera fights. Noguera, Heath Herring, which is, I mean, like, Heath Herring basically head-kicked the bejesus out of him. I mean, that one's so striking because Joe Rogan was screaming at Heath Herring to, like, finish the fight, you can beat Noguera, which was, like, really odd for a commentator to be doing, but it was, like... 
Uh, yeah, I mean, there's always the possibility for comebacks. But I think in general, like, if I see a fight that's a sustained beatdown, I'll either lose interest or be like, why has the ref stopped this? But you can't, unless the fighter's clearly out of the fight, you know, even if you're like, this code person's clearly not going to win, that's not, that's not being clearly out of the fight. If your wits are still about you and you're still being active, even if you're not being effective, that sort of thing. Being outclassed is right. no excuse to stop a fight. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Otherwise, they would have called uh, Silva Maya in the second, third round, right? And you know what? Yeah. That probably would have been best for everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they didn't, they should, and they yeah. shouldn't. Right. So, um, yeah. And, and, and I think the legitimate point to take away from this is just that there's not a lot of depth of talent. I mean, talk about this before the fight. In, the, in women's MMA, especially at the 145 weight class, um, uh, again, MMA junkies talked to Jan Finney, it sounds like, and they said, you know, she's probably going to go back down to 135 and stay in strike force for a bit. But, I mean, she didn't look... I mean, muscular-wise, muscular, muscular wise, she, uh, Cyborg looked bigger, but, I mean, like, height and, like, you know, physical presence, it wasn't, like, a huge disadvantage. Or I mean, I, you know, Jan Finney didn't look totally outsized by Chris Cyborg. Uh, you know, if you want to talk about muscles in a six-pack, sure, but... Uh, uh, you know, Cyborg's just just amazing, I guess, yeah. you know, and, uh, eh, back to the drawing board, Jan. Yeah, yeah and so we'll see if she, she drops down, back down to 135, she, she does there, and, um, you know... Uh, but it sounds like she, and you know, this interview MMA Junkie did with her, she sounds to be seems to be okay with the way it was ref, that sort of thing. And it's important to point out, uh, and, and, you know, it, it's not doesn't. I guess it is a case by case thing, but uh, you know, Jan Finney's corner and Jan Finney herself could have ended that fight anytime they wanted to. Yeah. Um, Jan, people tap out the strikes all the time. If Jan Finney thought she was taking too much punishment, uh, and again, she wasn't knocked out cold, so she still, you know, if she thought like I. I don't want him to fight anymore. She could tap up strikes. They could have, you know, in between rounds, her, her corner could be like, hey, um, you're getting punched a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. The maybe cor- The corner maybe. could have thrown in the towel. Yeah, so. Well, let's not insult yeah. her intelligence. She right. know, she knew right. who she was going against. She right. knew what she was doing. And, and I think one of my buddies we were watching the fight with, and I you see know, people who was like, you know, like, oh, tur- once you turtle up, the fight's over. I'm like. That's not true. That, that's not true. And, and certainly it does show a kind of, you know, obviously you're not going to lack of willingness to fight back immediately, but uh, covering your body from places you're getting punched is totally a legitimate defense. And maybe that's like my bear defense tactics talking, but like... But that's intelligent bear defense. Right, too. exactly. <laughs> I mean, what do... Unless people are expecting, like, you know, tur- yeah, turtling up for a sustained amount of time is not going to be an effective fight strategy. But if someone's trying to throw hammer fist down you, and granted, Cyborg's hammer fist after Jan Finney got knocked down were pretty sloppy in the first place... Uh, if you're covering the back of your head and protecting your head, that's that's I consider that intelligent defense. I mean, I don't know what people expect her to do is like catch the punch Dragon Ball Z style and then like overpower Cyborg and like do a kip up. Like, what do they? Well, wh- what is another defense for people punching you when you're on the ground besides covering your face? Maybe it's uh, maybe it's a, a, a time issue. Right. Like, you, know, you mentioned it's a good short term thing, and, yeah. and I can see that. But maybe, you know, once you pass, say, the one-minute mark, like, okay, he's just been laying down, blocking his face for the past minute and yeah. been getting punched. I've seen fights stop for that, though. Um, one example is the the second Tito versus Chuck Liddell fight, mm. where Tito was not knocked out. He right. was uh, just lying on a side, kind of half-pinned by Liddell, who was just punching, basically, Tito's arm. But it was just going on for long enough that uh, they stopped the fight. Yeah. Um, Roy Nelson did a couple of, of fights like that in The and, Ultimate Fighter. And where, he talked specifically how that was his strategy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you don't have to knock somebody out. Although those guys weren't actually turtled up. They were right. they were crucifixed. But um, 
Yeah, there's something to be said for that. But in yeah. terms of a short-term thing, yeah. if you uh, if you're just down there for 20 seconds or so, that yeah. is defense. Yeah, and I was you know during the Kung Lee Scott Smith fight, I kind of had the same thought because there's Kung Lee got, or Scott Smith got knocked down several times before he finally lost. And there's a couple times I was worried that the ref was going to stop the fight when Kung Lee was just kind of like shooting, hitting Scott Smith in the body and that sort of thing. And I'm like, I think Scott Smith is like he's the type of fighter who obviously he, he he's a fan of absorbing damage. But like those those shots aren't going to end the fight. Yeah, that sort of thing. So I kind of get like the the um, the visual of someone just like taking repeated blows that and not answering them or turtling up. But you got to think: Are those blows really doing damage? And um, you know what are, what is the what is the what is the net effect or the, the mass effect of those blows doing? I mean, and it might look crazy when someone's like flurrying and throwing all kinds of crazy hammer fists on someone on the ground. But how many of those punches are actually getting through? Uh, the defense, how many of them are landing cleanly or doing any amount of damage. Well, and that also can uh, be strategic in a number of ways. Um, You know, say it's nearing the end of the round, you hold off for 30 seconds, you get a free stand-up in a minute break. Also, you know, fighters have been known to punch themselves out before. If you can get a guy to think he's got you on the ropes and curl up for a little bit and have him throw all his bombs, uh, you know, his arms are going to be noodles afterwards. You can... Uh, come back and win from that. Yeah. So there's a. Pl- I think we said plenty on that. So. Um, so we disagree yeah. with you, nerds. Yeah. So not 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 a black eye in the sport of uh, women's MMA. Not not a not an outrage or an atrocity in our eyes. Um, again, just a just it's just, just an ass kicking. It's just an ass kicking. It's just a black eye on Jan Finney's face. It's not. Oh. I, I don't think it's. Hey-o. <laughs> I don't think it's anything thing more more than that. All right, let's, uh, uh, let's yeah. do this uh, Thompson-Healy fight real quick because we've got okay. a lot lot oh, more to cover. Yeah. yeah um, There's he, not a whole lot to yeah. say about this fight. Josh Thompson won, yeah. but he was getting his ass kicked for a little while. Yeah, Healy had a good showing. I think, um, I don't know, from an analytical standpoint, I mean, I was kind of surprised Josh Thompson, um, I, I guess not that he struggled with Pat Healy as much as he did, but I don't know. He seemed, I don't know what his game plan was. It, he didn't have a clear game plan. He seemed to like, be willing to kind of take it wherever the fight or wherever Pat Healy was. Well, the, I don't know. Josh Thompson has always kind of struck me as that type. Yeah. Um, and I've only seen so many of his fights, so I don't know if he always does it. But most of the fights that I've seen him in, he, he seems pretty willing to uh, just kind of do whatever because he is yeah. pretty well-rounded. Yeah. But also, Healy had him in the wrestling department. Uh, I would say Thompson was probably better standing and on the ground, but Pat had the uh, the wrestling takedowns. So, you know, Pat did have the option to be the one to choose where the fight took place. So, you know, it could just be said that Josh Thompson didn't have a choice but, uh, you know, play to his strength because wrestlers have that ability to do it. But you know, Josh Thompson was constantly looking for submissions in the first round. He had him in, uh, you know, in not like super close danger for a few of them, but you know, he had some of them that he was, uh, you know, scaring them with. And uh, the second round was pretty big on Pat Healy uh, and the third round too like Pat was winning I thought Josh was about to lose the decision until all of a sudden he gets on top and yeah I was, I was kind of chokes him out yeah leaning the same way I'm like wow Pat Healy's going to get an upset here and you know grind out a decision but then uh, you know he got caught in a very very slow slow uh, uh, rear naked choke that eventually got sunk in but uh, yeah it was kind of because like when he first, when Chomp, Thompson first latched on that submission we were like oh oh he's going to Oh no, he's fine. Okay, he's fine. And then they rolled over to and, the and, side, and, and that, that, he, that sunk yeah, it in. Got the uh, got it. On but yeah, I was head. very impressed by Pat Healy. I had never even heard of him before, but yeah. he's another Oregon wrestler, so I wouldn't be surprised if he ta- uh, trains with 
you know, Chael Sonnen and Matt Lindland, those guys. Right. But, but uh, you know, he's got a lot of experience, but just hasn't been on the big stage a lot and kind of, you know, journeyman's tossed around a lot. But, I mean, he's been, he's been around for a while. So. Okay. But just not, just not like, on the, on the, on the biggest stages and against top co- competition. So. Well, yeah, he, uh, he put on a very good fight, and, uh, you know, I'll remember him for future fights. Yeah. How about that sh- Strike Force undercard, right? Woo! What undercard? Did they have fights before that one? I think so. I don't. I didn't really pay attention. Obviously, I didn't even follow them online because you can't watch them. But like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they had other fights, but we didn't get to see them. Yeah, yeah. Asterisk, and that first that that main event only lasted a minute. Yeah. <laughs> they had so much time. Goodness gracious, yeah. So um, uh, I think that's enough Strike Force for now, right? We can talk. I think about that's all we got. Um, yeah. So this whole um, two giant heavyweights going for the. Uh, Perhaps the mantle of uh, today's top heavyweight. Yeah, two X gloves versus four X gloves. Yeah, that's actually three and five. Dang, even oh, bigger. Well. <laughs> even bigger. <laughs> Which is ridiculous to me because you know I'm like I look at my hand and it's not like big, but it's not tiny either. And I'm a medium, so you know there's large and then one X. One X is two bigger than me, so that means that uh, wow, Shane Carwin has got six sizes of bigger hands than me, which is like, ridiculous to me. I want to know how much tape it takes to wrap his hands. A whole roll. <laughs> <laughs> or a palette. Per hand. Per yeah. hand, yeah. An entire palette? Oh, yeah, I don't know. Well, I'm so looking forward to this fight. Like, when it comes to the the biggest, uh, you know, heavyweights, the, the yep. brawliest, you know, uh, Shane I mean, Carwin. The biggest, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Shane Carwin has a lot of, lot of heat coming into this. Yeah. Brock Lesnar coming out, you know, great storytelling here. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, Yeah, it's a fight that a lot of people, and you know, myself included, are extremely excited about. Um, The the hardcore elite mixed martial arts fans may, you know, scoff at this, but you know, it's the fight that everyone wants to see. It's it's the two biggest dudes, uh, one of which is the biggest name in the history of the sport, arguably, uh, Brock Lesnar. Yeah, as far as drawing power goes, I mean, biggest pay per view. Numbers, yeah. The UFC, yeah. Um, you know, and they're going at it, and uh, you know, they both kind of have some big question marks over their head. Uh, Brock Lesnar, we kind of had a pretty good feel about him as an overall, like, you know, what is he capable of? What can he do? What can't he do? But then he took a year off because he got sick. So now that all got thrown out the window, he's supposed to have lost a few pounds, but I guess he's. You know, just about back up to where he was. Yeah, something I saw recently, it sounds like he did, he maybe isn't going to need to cut uh, as much weight or yeah. weight that much at all. You know, he's right around 265 already. So. Yeah, like he was like supposed to be 285 before, and I think he was supposed to be like 275 now. So, right. you know, he lost 40 pounds, but he gained 30 of them back. But, you know, I mean, I don't know what it, it's done to him as an athlete. You know, he's certainly spent a lot of time not training at all. Right. Um. And I know he's had a lot of time to bounce back since then. It was in January where he uh, he got better, but that's still you know he spent a few months away from uh, away from any mat at all, and that's got to be pretty hard on you. And then Carwin, you know, there's all kinds of things we don't know about him. He he's supposed to be a pretty good wrestler, but we've never really seen that come into play. We don't know if he's got any kind of submissions, and we still don't know if he has any kind of gas tank yeah. at all. Um, Frank Mir was now his longest fight ever at four minutes. So, um, you know, I mean, who knows? He may have incredible cardio. We don't know. 
Yeah, it's going to be, uh, and, and, you know, I kind of have the feeling that this is going to be one of those fights, despite uh, I, I imagine it's going to be an exciting finish, but I don't know coming out of it if any of those questions will be answered. Oh, not at all. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think maybe some of them will. Yeah. <laughs> Unless they pull, like, an Andre Orlovsky, Tim Sylvia, and like, they both, like, injure each other and then, like, can't finish, so they have a dreadful five-round decision, I don't think we're going to see, like, gas tank being an issue, that sort of thing. So, Well... I could see the gas tank being an issue if Brock Lesnar wins. Okay. Because I don't see Brock Lesnar beating Carwin in the first, um, but I do see Carwin beating Brock in the first. I think Brock could drag it out a few rounds and put him away. Like, I could see, like, a Brock Lesnar third-round finish. Yeah, ground and pound, something like that. Um, yeah. Well, I, I don't really see him doing a stand-up knockout. <laughs> right, <laughs> and I don't yeah. really see the submission unless it's, you know, something pretty simple, like a rear-naked choke or something. <laughs> um, but I could see Brock Lesnar turning into a wrestling match. And while Carwin's supposed to be a good wrestler, too... Uh, I think Brock Lesnar is supposed to be able to trump him on the, that one. Right, that's kind of been some of the the fun of the debate. You know, Brock Lesnar's like my credentials are like you know better than Carwin's. You know, like his, his his wrestling credentials aren't as like as good as mine. You know, I was at a higher level wrestling that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, so we'll we'll see. That, that doesn't always play out though. I mean, yeah. Josh Koscheck has uh, the best wrestling credentials right. around right now, and he's uh, he, you know he can take most people down. But he gets taken down by GSP. And Maybe he'll have to train his wrestler, practice wrestling before his GSP fight this time. Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of unanswered questions. Yeah. So if I got to make a pick, I'm going to go with Brock Lesnar um, with, you know, like I said, kind of a later finish, mm -hmm. second, third, fourth round kind of deal, uh, just kind of a ground and pound. I don't think it's going to go all five rounds. Yeah. Um, but I think if he can drag it out, and, you know, who knows? I mean, Carwin might be able to knock Brock out still in the third round. He might have that stamina. But it's just one of those things that I'll, I guess I'll see it when I believe it. Just because, you know, he is that big muscular guy that, um, you know, don't tend to last into the later rounds too well. Brock has proven that he can do that, so I believe it about Brock now. But I haven't seen that from Carwin, so I don't know that he can do it yet. Yeah. I don't want this uh, match to go on for 30 seconds. Like, I would like something a little longer than that, you know? Yeah. I, I expect them to come and, like, start in the three-point stance and then just, like, run directly into each other, and then they'll explode, and one of them will be knocked out. <laughs> and then one of them will be standing victorious yeah. in, the, in the center of the octagon. Yeah, we'll have no idea what will happen. It'll be, like, some sort of Tasmanian yeah. devil, like, whirling dervish. So, uh, Hopefully they start it with the, uh, with the grip test of strength. <laughs> <laughs> Oh goodness! I yeah. hope I know. Yeah. I, I can't. I hope that doesn't happen. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I do favor Brock Lesnar in this fight. I think the the, the key issues really? here. Are good. Yeah. Um, and again, I would not be surprised at all if Shane Carwin. Uh, I give Shane Carwin the the this, um, advantage in the stand up and the power of his punches and his technique as well. Brock Lesnar clearly has power in his punches, but as far as technique goes, I mean, we've seen Shane Carwin work those really wicked, like you know, really close uppercuts. And, and the, the technique just seems to be there a bit more. Uh, and, you know, his hands are bigger. He has to be stronger, right? I mean, who knows? <laughs> He's been but, knocking yeah. fools out. Um, but I, I think Lesnar does have a speed advantage overall, just his athleticism. And, um, you know, the wrestling, I think I'm going to give him as well. Uh, I think that really the key issue is going to be the layoff time, how that affected him, if it affected him. Or you know, not even necessarily the time, but, you know, he hasn't fought in so long is his technique, you know, where's his technique at? Does he have the ring rust thing, that sort of thing? I don't, I don't think him being in shape is going to be an issue, but just like, you know, 
it's been so long since he's been yeah been been, been at that at that level you know in the in the cage in the UFC. There is something to be said for that. I was actually, in all honesty, leaning towards Carwin a week ago until I saw a video on YouTube of uh, Brock Lesnar and Randy Couture training together. I guess yeah. Randy's flown up to Minnesota to Brock's personal gym Ooh. where he gets to fly in all kinds of guys to train with him and stuff. And it was a pretty convincing video. As you know, like who knows how much that actually really says. Probably not a whole hell of a lot, but... You go check it out if you haven't seen it yet. Just Brock Lesnar and Randy Couture training together. And Sable makes them lunch, right? Uh, I don't know that she can cook. Uh, a, a lunch <laughs> of just steak, you know, buffet, a, a steak buffet. I, I hear Lesnar cut some of that that uh, that meat out for his. Uh, well, his yeah, meat. he started eating the salads, I guess, because he needs some fiber. Good steak salad. Good. Yeah, like all it. he needs is uh, you know, just he can eat all the steak he wants. Just throw in a few fiber one bars or pound some Metamucil every once in a while. Yeah. Uh, Hmm, good thinking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he can keep his polar bear diet if he wants to. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I also, I'll pick Lesnar in this fight, but it's not nearly with the amount of conviction I had picking Fedor over Verdum, because that means absolutely nothing at this point. But, um, you know, this is not a, a fight where I'm like, oh, clearly this guy is going to win, no question, and if if Carwin wins, it'll be a huge upset. That's not the case. Um, you know, again, I would not be surprised to see Carwin get a, get a TKO or a knockout. Early on, you know, because I don't think we've seen Lesnar's chin tested that much. Um, and again, Harwin has huge hands. What's that going to do? But uh, yeah, I, I do give the advantage here to Lesnar with being able to, I think, kind of control where the fight takes place. Um, and I'm sure he can take a shot or two. And, and then, you know, if he's like, oh, I don't like standing up with Shane Carwin, I'm going to take the fight down and, and control from top. Yeah. Well, I don't expect Brock to have any delusions of trying to stand in this fight. Fly me, round one. Because, you know, he, he kind of got spooked with Frank Mir standing up a little bit in their second fight. Um, he got hit, I think it, it was a knee, actually. Um, and, and he even says now, that, yeah, there was a quick second where I saw a flash of light uh, when I yeah. got hit. So, you know, it, it hurt. And um, he immediately went for the takedown <laughs> right after that. And I, I would think with Carwin, you know, he he knows what Carwin's capable of. He he's not going in there, you know, completely blind. I would imagine. And uh, you know, despite the fact that he's got a gigantic ego, I think he's uh, at least got a pretty reasonable yeah. knowledge of his skill set, and he knows that he's a wrestler. Right. You know, he he knows that. He knows that he's not a kickboxer. Uh, his strength in this fight is going to be wrestling, and I, I wouldn't expect him to spend a whole lot of time before getting to it. Yeah, um, uh, but I'll take Lesnar by the same, uh, you know, ground and pound. But I'll go, I'll give him round, give it in round two. Um, what I would be somewhat surprised to see if we see like some sort of like heat herring like drubbing where it's you know, like the the highlight reel like punching him head over heels and then like bull rushing him and then just like <laughs> that was awesome, kill it, you know, and just like basically like out wrestling him like not even close of a contest for the entire fight. That would be more surprising to me. I do expect this to be a bit more competitive, and I think it's going to be Lesnar's hardest fight to date. Um, just, you know, you know, Randy Couture was a pretty good test for him, and you know, despite the fact that Randy ended up getting knocked out, I mean, he he was giving Lesnar some problems with the, uh, the in the clinch against the cage, that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. But I, I think just and it seems kind of silly, like you know, with us trying to be so analytical and everything to say like, oh, I think Carwin's size is going to play an issue here, but yeah, I don't think, you know, a lot of the other fighters Lesnar's face have not been that kind of massive, and I think that alone. Uh, you know, technique aside, will present some interesting issues that he hasn't faced before. Yeah, well, both of these guys, as far as I know, because I don't really know all the guys that Carwin has fought, 
But both of these guys are used to being the bully. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be interesting seeing the two bullies go at it and see which one's the real bully. Uh, you know, it's kind of something that Carwin was talking about Frank Mir going into their fight, where he was talking about how Frank Mir had put on all this muscle mass. And he says, well, you know, like, you can do that if you want, but let's see come fight time who's pushing who around. Um, and Carwin, you know, was, in fact, the one pushing Mir around. He, uh, Despite the fact that Mir had gained a lot of weight, he still wasn't the stronger of the two. And one of these guys is going to have to be stronger than the other, and uh, I think that's going to be real interesting. Um, unless, of course, they're identically strong, mm-hmm. which would be even more interesting, actually, um, because then everything is, is equal after that point. But I would imagine somebody is going to have a, a, a little bit of a strength advantage, and uh, whoever that is uh, may very likely just be the guy who ends up being the winner. Uh, I just need to point out, now that I'm changing my, my uh, decision, I'm still, still siding with Brock Lesnar, but uh, Shane Carwin did beat an American Gladiator. Oh, snap. Wolf? Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, you guys remember from a few years ago, the American Gladiator relaunch that featured Gina Carano, of course. But, uh, a and Hulk other, Hogan. Yeah, but uh, he was uh, he's past his prime. Who, who is this? Uh, it was uh, apparently Justice Smith, who was the uh, the big black guy on American Gladiators with the Mohawk. And it's bad that I'm, like, referencing American Gladiators to point out that I actually watched it. But, it uh, well, yeah, the, the bad part is that you're referencing the new American yeah, Gladiators. Yeah. But uh, there's nothing wrong with American Gladiators <laughs> other than the fact that it was, like, the new ones. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I watched episode one of the new ones, and then I was like, eh, <laughs> this was better in the 90s. Right. <laughs> but, uh, no, I was just looking at Shane Carvin's record, and I saw the name Justice Smith on there. I was like, that seems kind of familiar. And, yeah, no I'm pretty way. sure it's it was one of the new American Gladiators. Well, so, all right. um, e- even though he beat American Gladiator, I'm still going to go with Shane Carwin on this one. I don't know. That's a pretty impressive notch on your belt. It's really not. (laughs) It's it's actually a a minus, I would say. Those those skinny little guys get around them all the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, What if if Lesnar and Carwin just did joust? No? I don't know. What? (laughs) I would pick... Is there enough room for them to... I I would pick Carwin in the jousting competition, actually. (laughs) All right. But in a mixed martial arts fight, Lesnar. Yeah, Lesner. I'm so gonna go I'm gonna go for for Carwin because of the injury, bit of ring rust. Carwin has a lot of success, and he's uh, you know, he's just kind of moving along and he's picking up steam while Lesnar was picking up steam, stopped cold, and now I'm I'm sure he's great. I'm sure he's in you know great condition and has worked really hard. But I'm gonna probably give it to Carwin in, in the first. Now, if it goes anywhere past that, who knows? Probably yeah. Lesnar. Uh, one thing I'd like to point out real quick is that while Carwin did have the recent fight against Frank Mir, it had been a long time since his uh, previous fight because uh, he knocked out uh, Gabriel Gonzaga as his last fight before then. And, I mean, I, I couldn't tell you exactly when that was, but that was a long time ago. And he had uh, he had the fight promise with Brock Lesnar back in November and uh, obviously that didn't happen because Brock Lesnar got sick. But, uh, you know, Carwin had a pretty long layoff himself. Although, like I said, he had that match just recently to uh, to, to kind of shake off some of that rust. Yeah, the, the Gabriel Gonzaga knockout was uh, UFC 96 back in um, March of '09, And then he didn't fight again for a year. Yeah. Which is crazy. Because, yeah, they had the setup where he was going to be fighting Lesnar and then it didn't happen and yeah. And they didn't really find a replacement until until Mir was ready to go. So, I mean, he should have less ring rust because he did have um, you know, a fight a few months ago. But 
uh, he also went over a year without a fight. So I, I think that's noteworthy, although I don't think that's as likely to affect him as it would be Brock. Yeah. So uh, we, we should talk about the uh, the co-main event. I believe it still is. It's uh, been a bit, uh, got a little little mixed up recently and uh, become a pretty interesting story with uh, Yoshiro Akiyama, or Sexyama, as some people like to call him. I don't like to call him that. No one likes to call him that. So okay. let's start with this real, real quick. Who is this... Akiyama guy, and why should I care about him? Because he's a big star in Japan. He's he, huge in Japan. Yeah, he Ooh. was. <laughs> so is Cheap Trick. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, he wasn't on Tough. I don't know who he is. Uh, uh, he was. Uh, yeah, good way to talk down to me, Tobin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking up his record. <laughs> yeah, he, he had a good career in K1. Um, not, I, I think it was K1, but it wasn't yeah. as a kickboxer in K1. He's actually, I think, a judo guy, primarily. And um, yes. yeah, he he just he, he had a good career in Japan, and recently came over to the UFC, where he had a pretty underwhelming first match. Granted, he fought Alan Belcher, who has just recently put himself on the map. Yeah. Um, but that was kind of the beginning of Alan Belcher uh, and his big run that he's on now. And he eked out a decision on a Belcher. I actually personally would have given it to Belcher. Um, but, you know, there's also something to be said for a, a lot of these guys from Japan do poorly in their first match in the UFC. Um, so, you know, who knows what's up with that. Um, also, there was some talk of him moving down to 170, which it looks like he's not ready for yet because this fight here is going to be at 180. But he, he's a big star. He's a big name, just not so much in America. Right. But uh, hardcores definitely know who he is and... Yeah, pretty long career in K1. Got some notable, uh, some notable wins over uh, Dennis Kang and um, the other one that stood out. You know, Melvin Manoff. Uh, some pretty big, big names in the K1. So uh, here he is era. coming over yeah. here to uh, to UFC 116. Right. And who who was he supposed to fight? Originally, it was going to be him and Vanderlei Silva thrown down, which would have been a pretty crazy fight. But yeah, that would have been a great fight for the hardcores because that'd be uh, you know one of K1's biggest guys in terms of mixed martial arts. And then Pride's biggest guy, uh, which, you know, Pride and K1 don't do a whole lot together, but, or, you know, didn't, obviously. They don't do anything together now. Um, so it's something that never really happened, but it was kind of one of those, you know, what if, you know, a possibility match. And, uh, you know, now Vanderlei Silva, even though he doesn't have a whole lot of wins here, is hugely popular here. Yeah. And he's gone down to 185, which... The verdict's still kind of out there. You know, we don't really know what he's going to be like. But he beat Michael Bisping, who's not the top guy, but he's good. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we're not really sure where he's going to stand yet. And Akiyama is also kind of a guy we don't really know where they stand. But they're both big names. They're both pretty exciting fighters. Um, so it's a fight that I was pretty excited about, and I think uh, a lot of other people out there were. Unfortunately, Vandalay Silva got injured. Nobody's more upset about it than him. It's going to be on his uh, birthday. Yeah. So he was really wanting to get a fight on his birthday, which seems like kind of a weird thing to me. I kind of want to take it easy on my birthday, I would think. You know, maybe even take a day off of training. That's why we're not fighters. Yeah, apparently <laughs> so. I, that's what he, his birthday wishes to go out there and knock somebody out, which is why he is a, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, I guess he had a knee issue, and then it sounds like he was planning to fight through that, but then he also had some broken ribs that did him in. With yeah. Doctors, so. You know, one injury is, uh, you know, it sucks, but you can deal with it. But then <laughs> when your whole body is injuring you, it's time to, you know, take a break. Yeah. And, uh, you know, stepping up to bat, and, you know, we, we uh, 
We talked about him just a few weeks ago, but big ups to Chris Lieben, who fought on the last UFC card. Yeah, this will be two weeks between fights, yeah, which, which is, is pretty impressive. But he didn't get any kind of suspension for uh, uh, or medical suspension for his win uh, over Aaron Simpson. It's good to fight. He's already got to be in pretty decent shape. I'm sure he, uh, you know, spent the day eating cake, yeah. uh, you know, enjoying his victory, and then oh snap, I got another fight to do, and. Uh, immediately jumped back into training. Right, and I mean, you know, this is a big opportunity for Chris Lieben. I mean, we talked, you know, when we were talking about his uh, uh, fight with Aaron Simpson, we were like, yeah, Chris Lieben's a solid gatekeeper at, uh, you know, middleweight, but he's never going to kind of be up there. Um, but, you know, I I favor Yaki Alma in this fight, but for Chris Lieben, you know... It's a winnable fight. Yeah, and, you know, people are going to hate me for saying this, but, you know, as far as substituting styles goes, uh, Vanderlei Silva for Chris Lieben isn't, like, that big of a change, except for, like, I guess, like, the... Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they're both brawlers. I mean, yeah, you don't have to worry about knees as much with Lieben, <laughs> but that's the big difference. Right. Um, Lieben is going to be more hands-oriented than Vanderlei Silva is, but Vanderlei Silva throws a lot of hands, too. I mean, to me, actually, honestly, the biggest difference here is that Lieben's a southpaw. Right, which could be that 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 for me is like, well, maybe that maybe that gives Chris Lieben a chance because Akiyama just was was not preparing for that, you know, and he only had this short amount of time to. But you know what, Lieben wasn't preparing for Akiyama either. Yeah. So, um, I, I've always kind of found this argument to be a little bit disingenuous. Um, and that was kind of one of the things that uh, Akiyama was complaining about. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, you know, he's complaining about how. Oh, like, oh, I was training for one guy, and I wasn't training for this guy. Like, well, if you're in shape, which you should be because you've got a fight in two weeks, it really shouldn't make any difference because while you weren't training for Chris Lieben, you were training for somebody, so you were you were building the work up, and uh, Chris Lieben wasn't training for you. He was training for somebody else completely different, right. um, and he actually stopped training probably for a few days because he, uh, you know, he, he just had his fight. So... Lieben is going to be no more prepared for Akiyama than Akiyama is going to be for Lieben. So, I, mean, I don't really see that as being a very valid argument for uh, being upset about it, an opponent change. Right. You know, just go on YouTube, get some tapes, figure out what this opponent, this new opponent does, and you know, you could probably have to work a little bit harder about you know, cram, basically cramming for for your your new fight. But yeah, yeah. I mean, you, but he's going to have to do it too. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, it was interesting because you mentioned Akiyama kind of complained, and there was a quote out there that says like, "I'm not sure if I'm going to take the fight," and then like a day or two later, like, "No, he's he's going to." Yeah. But that was that was a scary moment. I'm like, man, that's a you got an opponent who steps up just coming off of a fight, and then you're like, ah, I don't know if I want to take it. Yeah. Now, to me, this is uh, kind of worrisome, even after he's taken the fight. Um, but it's like you know, it makes you wonder where this guy's head is at. He was a big star in Japan. I'll give him that. But he's not a big star here in America. He's only had one fight here so far, and he barely won. And it was against a guy who, like I said, you know, he's he's coming up. But he's, I mean, Alan Belzer is not a huge name either. And it, no. it was UFC 100, which is the most watched UFC ever. So I mean, a lot of people saw him get that win, but you know, he, he's not a star here yet. You know, you say uh, Akiyama to your average UFC fan, and they're gonna, you know, look at you kind of puzzled. Yeah. Um. Chris Lieben is actually a bigger name than you here. Uh, so quit whining, Akiyama. Yeah. But, I mean, in all seriousness, like, I understand if you're, you can be upset, but that sounds like he's kind of pulling a prima donna move. And yeah. at this point, he doesn't have the standing in the UFC to be doing stuff like that. I wonder if Dana White is going to, you know, throw some kind of, uh, I, I don't want to say like a flat-out punishment, 
for that, but you know, give him less opportunity uh, as a result of this. Because I mean, that's a pretty big insult, I would say, to the UFC. And he's not in the the, the rampage level yet. Where rampage can throw a few insults to the UFC, and it's all going to be okay. Yeah, and it's. Uh, I mean, I certainly understand. You know, I, I think the. And again, no offense, to Chris Levin, but uh, obviously, you know, the notoriety of this fight went down when Vanderlei Silva dropped out. You know, it had this big international appeal for the hardcore fans and that sort of thing. And, and Chris Levin's not as big of a name as Vanderlei Silva, so I could understand like the, the the being upset there. But I mean, yeah, it just seems kind of weird that I mean, Chris Levin's not a not a can, you know. So no. he's he's not top tier competition, but he's he's not a he's not a nobody. He's not like some sort of like you know amateur they're bringing in at the last second. He's he's got some legit skills, and uh, you know. Again, like, I favor Akiyama, and I almost say that hesitantly because, you know, Chris Levin's been pretty surprised in his last outing, you know, and just, like, the maturity he's shown recently. Um, but, um, yeah, certainly I, th- I thought it was very, very odd to see that, that comment out there from Akiyama. Just like, yeah, no, I mean, because, yeah, I mean, like, finding a last-minute replacement such a hu- with this little time, you know, of just a couple weeks, I mean, what an undertaking that is, and then Chris Levin does the UFC. I mean, he's literally doing the UFC a favor, that sort of stuff, and then to have the the guy who's been training this whole time be like, mm, I'm not sure. Yeah, it, it just it just struck me as odd. But I understand some of the motivations, but I don't know if they're legit. I guess. Yeah, I'm gonna go with uh, the Chris Lieben pick actually on this one. I was leaning towards Vanderlei mm-hmm. earlier, um, just because uh, Akiyama, if I remember correctly, his last fight in Japan, he won by a disqualification. Due to an illegal head kick. Oops. Um, I forget who it was too, but he had a hand on the ground, got kicked in the head, and got knocked out. Um, and you know he had that fight against Alan Belcher since then. But it, it shows that he he can uh, get knocked out by uh, by strikes, and Chris Lieben can do that to anyone if he can he hit you. Hard. Yeah. And um, you know I think Chris Lieben can probably survive if Akayama gets him on the ground. He's not uh, a super submission machine. He's, he's good on the ground. I think he would outwork Lieben on the ground, but I think Lieben would probably get back up. And, uh, you know, I mean, like I said, I'm I'm really wondering where Akayama's head is at. I'm wondering if he's still taking the fight seriously. And, uh, you know, I mean, he, he like I said, he barely got past Alan Belcher, and Alan Belcher is, you know, probably a little bit above Levin, but he's not like head and shoulders above him. So yeah, um, yeah. I mean, um, I was gonna say Akiyama. You, we mentioned the judo background, and um, you know, prior to Chris Levin and Aaron Simpson fight, I would say like, oh, anyone who has a le- good ground game or judo or good wrestling is gonna give Chris Levin problems. And Chris Levin did get taken down pretty spectacularly initially against Aaron Simpson, but he was able to get up from that and recover. Um, and, and judo is certainly a different yeah. game, obviously. Um, and it looks like the submission wins Akiyama does have are uh, primarily arm bars. So be interesting to see there. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. Again, my 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 kind of thoughts on Chris Lieben. He's always been an interesting fighter to watch. But as far as you know, like what he had to offer, that's my my thoughts on that have really changed just within the last couple of weeks. Over you know being able to being able to outwork a wrestler, and yeah, I think a lot of that had to do with gas gas tank. But um, you know being able to recover from being taken down, that sort of thing, and uh, yeah, it's certainly not a. Again, would not be surprised to see Chris Lieben uh, pull out another kind of spectacular knockout out of his uh, that uh, devastating left uh, hand of his. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I I do think the ground game, despite Lieben's improvements, is still going to be the difference here. So well, also one other thing that kind of makes me lean towards him is that um, 
and I know this is kind of unfair to say, but uh, Akiyama is a fighter from Japan, and a lot of these Japanese fighters don't cut weight like American fighters do. Yeah. I don't want to say he's Japanese, therefore he's going to be out-muscled, but um, a lot of times fighters who come from this culture where they don't cut weight, uh, you know, maybe he's actually right around 185, you know, 190, while Chris Lieben is more like 200 pounds. Mm. Um, and, you know, this is really a lot of speculation here, but... I could see a guy like Chris Lieben, who is an extremely physical fighter. He's not a technician. He's a guy who is a brute. Um, I could see him out-muscling Akiyama um, more than Akiyama would expect. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I could see the fight going his way kind of in that aspect, just from a, a physicality of uh, of Lieben. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And, I mean, I'm not sure... Both of these guys have only been knocked out once, and uh, Akiyama's came early in his career a, a head kick, uh, not a head kick, uh, knees to the head uh, KO in his second fight back in '05, and Levens, of course, famously came to, uh, to Anderson know, Silva, a little guy named Anderson Silva. So um, you know, I'm not sure if we'll see a KO, but you know, Levens got that pretty strong left. I don't know if he get a TKO or stun him and finish him some other way, but um. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting fight, and I, certainly the, my level of certainty on this fight, you know, is really kind of it, it, not quite fifty-fifty. I do slightly favor Akiyama, but uh, I'm I, I was excited for this fight before. I'm excited for it still, you know, even with the substitution. And again, it's not going to have that big, you know, as cool, you know, the flashy uh, name value as much as it did with Vanderlei being in there. But uh, it's still uh, still an interesting fight to me. One, I'm, I'm pretty curious to see how it uh, turns out. Definitely. I mean, I'd like to see it. Um... It's certainly different than it was before, but it's still uh, still an exciting fight, uh, and it's one to look forward to for different reasons. Yeah, and certainly again a huge opportunity for Chris Lieben. Like if he could, if he can get the win here, I mean that really puts him kind of back into into relevance almost. I mean it'd be interesting to see where he goes from there because he's always been considered that gate gatekeeper, and you know what what would this do for his uh, and not necessarily um, I guess what would this do for his credibility among you know UFC brass that sort of thing you know taking the fight on short notice just doing them a favor and then being someone who maybe isn't well known in the states but certainly is is a respected MMA uh, uh, fighter someone who's got you know legit um, uh, credentials that sort of thing in the MMA community mm-hmm. you know. and then especially just two weeks after yeah. his last fight as well yeah great fight. yeah and just looking this up real quick the the head kick knockout that I had mentioned earlier is actually a uh, no contest not ah. a disqualification. And it was to Kazuno Misaki, who is a, a longtime pride staple in what they call the welterweight. We call middleweight here at 185. Uh, longtime staple, but really not a, a huge world beater and is not really known for his knockout prowess. So, you know, that kind of makes me wonder about Akiyama's chin, just really how much it's been tested over the years when he's gotten most of his wins. Yeah. So, um, yeah, very exciting. And, um,. Yeah, I was going to mention this at the offset. We talked about how excited we are for Brock Lesnar, Shane Carwin. And, uh, you know, honestly, that's a good thing because looking at this card, and again, no offense, but there's not a lot of other fights that really stick out to me. There's some good fighters on here. Uh, George Sotoropoulos, who really just, you know, came on strong, and the uh, the UFC Australia card really got his yeah. name out there for his impressive win over um, Joe Daddy Stevenson, right? Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he had been beating a lot of guys, actually, from other seasons of The Ultimate Fighter since uh, since his stint on the show. Um, but you know, like you got to take wins against fellow Ultimate Fighter winners with a grain of salt usually, because like 
you know, how uh, how much has this guy really accomplished outside of the show? And, you know, is he just on in the in the UFC because of his time on the show? But Joe Stevenson was on one of the early seasons, so, you know, he's had to prove his worth uh, since then. And he's had some losses since then, uh, most notably to BJ Penn, although there's absolutely no shame in that one, no matter how brutal it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, George Sadaropoulos uh, completely outclassed him in uh, pretty much every aspect of the game there, which was very impressive. That was his biggest step up in competition, and he was 100% ready for it. Yeah, but now he's got to fight Batman. <laughs> oh, Kurt Pellegrino? Yes. All right, well, I expect George to win that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kurt Pellegrino's coming in a four-fight win streak, most recent being over Fabricio Camoys at uh, UFC 111, uh, second-round submission. But, yeah, I mean, I, I can't be too analytical if either of these guys going too back far into their careers, but just from what I've seen of them recently, you know, I've been much more impressed with George Sotoropoulos. Definitely. You know, it was a much more, uh, he put on a much more dominant performance, whereas Kurt Pellegrino, it was a more back-and-forth fight, it seemed, until he was able to secure that uh, yeah. submission. Yeah, and then also there's something to be said for the fact that uh, George Sotoropoulos was more dominant over a better opponent. Yeah. Um, I mean, Kurt Pellegrino, I've got nothing bad to say about him. He's a very good fighter. Um, but he's, you know, more of like the Spencer Fisher level, I would say, where, you know, he's he's a good fighter but not a great fighter. He's a good fighter to bring you fun fights. Uh, you know, I always like to see him on a card, but I, I don't expect him to win this one. Yeah. So um... One fight that I'm uh, excited about looking at this card, though, is Chris Lytle against Matt Brown. Fight of the night bonus right yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, I don't expect it to have a whole lot of title implications, but, man, it's going to be fun as hell. Yeah. Yeah, I heard an interview with Chris... Chris Lytle a week or two ago, uh, it was pretty interesting. He's a interesting guy to hear talking because he's I believe he has the UFC record for most like win or bonuses, whether it be fight of the night, knockout of the night, that sort of thing. And I think he got a submission of the night in his last one where he got that yeah, knee bar yeah, that yeah. hurt that guy. But uh, yeah, I believe he has the most yeah just win bonuses in general, you know those type of bonuses in general, and he's just a really interesting guy talking about you know uh, how committed he is to. Because, you know, you think guys who, like, always get these bonuses, that sort of thing, they're more concerned about putting on a show than getting a win. But uh, he was talking about, like, he just wants to uh, – he goes out and fights the way he does very aggressively, stands in trades, or comes out, you know, in a more aggressive manner than some people do. You know, maybe people are like, is this to his benefit? You know, should he be being a little more cautious, kind of like more, uh, you know, pick his shots, that sort of thing, than getting into these slugfests all the time. But it's not – he's just really committed to uh, finishing the fight, making sure that it's um, – you know, he just doesn't, and I hate to bring up the, you know, never let it go to the decision, never let it go to the judges, but he just kind of wants to make sure that if he wins a fight, you know, it's going to be, uh, you know, people will know, you know, it's not going to be like an iffy decision or something like that. Uh, so he's really committed to uh, taking it uh, to that, you know, making sure it's uh, final, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, well, which is kind of interesting because, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, no, I just like having fun and fighting. And it's, no, he wants to win, but he wants to make sure it's, you know, decisive you know, by putting on, you know, like these really impressive knockouts or fight of the nights or submission of the nights performances. I think that's kind of interesting because he's really kind of evolved into uh, being the slugger. I mean, he used to kind of be known as a uh, a kind of boring jujitsu guy for a while there. And uh, I always just kind of figured he kind of flipped on a switch one day. I was like, you know what? I'm going to get better paydays if I just come out here and, and you know, brawl. Yeah. And he turns out to be pretty good at it. I'm sure he's, uh, you know, put a lot of training into it. Um, yeah, I always just kind of figured that was what he was going for more yeah. than uh, more than going for the win because, you know, like I was saying, when you're at that level, um, you know, you get paid more if you just go out there and be exciting than if you actually get your win bonus but then, uh, 
you know, don't yeah, put on the best match. I think the best example of that is Pat Barry and his, I can't remember which fight it was, a couple fights back, but he, he made like, uh, I think, well over $100,000 because he got fight of the night and knockout of the night in the same night, and then that was nowhere, you know, way more than he would have gotten paid for just winning this fight. Yeah. He got an insane amount of cash from from, from those bonuses. So you always think like, oh, well, maybe these fighters just want that extra payday. But at least in Chris Lytle's case, it kind of comes across as you're like, no, he's, he still wants to win and wants to fight. It just happens to be how it goes. But, yeah, look at his record. He's got 18 submission wins. Yeah, well, I mean, he uh, he was a jiu-jitsu guy before he had any boxing. Mm-hmm. I mean, he started mixed martial arts as a jiu-jitsu specialist. And I, I don't know, like, you know, what belt he had or anything, but he uh, that that was his thing when he was new. And uh, I mean, now, now he's known for a crazy brawler, basically. Yeah, and... Uh... You know, I I don't know. I, again, he's one of those guys. I don't think he's gonna go get to that kind of like higher echelon in in his division. But he's always gonna be one of those entertaining fighters, if nothing else. Which, yeah. Uh, you, you always need a few of those for sure. And he's still a full time fireman. This is true. This wow. is true. That's a yeah. That's all. Full time. I mean, well, yeah. The human interest stories. I mean, that's kind of you know we see that in sports all the time. But you know, within this day and age, where there's so many just full time fighters, you know, there is the. Uh, Chris Lytles and, you know, Shane Carwin still has a job, which I find. What does Shane Carwin do? He's like an engineer. Yeah, that I just found out today. And I find that to be far crazier, actually, than Chris Lytle being a full-time fireman. Um, Because engineers, man, they sit at desks. Like, firemen are running there and saving lives and working out all day, basically. Um, Shane's got to be a workout-aholic. Like, he doesn't feel good unless he's doing something physical and then be able to just sit quietly think at a desk, you know? Yeah, that's crazy to me. Uh, I mean, I could see being a fireman, you know, I mean, those guys are only chasing fires so much of the time. They spend a lot of time hanging out waiting for fires. And I know they also spend a whole lot of time working out. I wouldn't be surprised if he's got a jujitsu mat there, you know, if he does a lot of training just while he's on the job. But, man, that's so crazy to me. Shane Carwin just, I can't picture him sitting behind a desk. If he wears a suit, that thing's got to be huge. <laughs> What kind of keyboard does he use? You know? yeah, with those five XL fingers. <laughs> he's got to have a keyboard the size of his desk. <laughs> yeah, he's got like special ordered mouses and uh, great. I mentioned him. He's got like a like you know like a Bluetooth or like a headset. <laughs> oh, yes, a Bluetooth. It would just come <laughs> just to his cheekbone. Really, he has to, yeah. he has to yell into it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, all right, back to what we were talking about. Chris Lytle fighting Matt Brown, the immortal. Which is uh, almost as ridiculous of a nickname as uh, Frank Shamrock giving himself the nickname The Legend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, whether or not you, you know, whatever. Just like sometimes, and it's MMA. People have ridiculous nicknames. But uh, Matt the Immortal Brown. Uh, I think we made, we talked about this last time. But uh, unless this fight ends with someone getting decapitated, <laughs> not really going to be. There can impressed. be only one, Matt Brown. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's coming off a loss to Ricardo Almeida back at uh, also the uh, the UFC 111. Um, lost to uh, on a rear naked choke. Before that, he had three wins over Ryan Thomas, Pete Sell, and most recently James Wilkes. But uh, I don't know. He's another one of those kind of brawler types, you know? Yeah. Um, he was on season seven of The Ultimate Fighter, and he was kind of known as being like, the super badass guy on the, the show. The really angry guy. And then yeah. he lost to Amir, and everyone was like, whoa, the yeah. angry guy lost to the goofy guy. What the hell? Yeah. But he's, he's really kind of turned it on since then, and, I mean, there was a lot of wondering if he was even going to, like, get a job in the UFC after that. Yeah, and but he has, and he's been, he's been fairly active. I mean, there was, uh, for a while, he what, fought uh, the Ultimate Fighter 7 finale, 
and then three months later he was uh, took a loss to Don Young Kim, and then uh, you know two months later was fighting again. Uh, then three mo- or four months after that fought again at UFC 96, and, and then there was an eight month break, and then you know fought again last November, and then fought his fought in March, and now fighting. Yeah, again. but so he's still five fights in the past couple of years is uh, yeah yeah it's not like super crazy active. Uh, people in Japan have done more than that, but yeah. that's a significant amount for fighting in the UFC, where usually you only get like two fights a year. Yeah, so uh, he, he's been keeping busy and, you know, notched a few good wins, taking a couple hard losses. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I I like Chris Lytle in this fight, I think, just because he does have that, you know, he's demonstrated that he he can obviously stand and trade, will brawl, sometimes to his detriment, it seems. But uh, if he needs to, he'll, he'll uh, lock on a pretty wicked submission if he needs to. So I think I think I'll give him the advantage there that if the fight's yeah. not going his way standing up, he'll he'll be able to work uh, work on the ground better against uh, the immortal. I think I think I'm going to lean towards Lytle also, but you know, Matt Brown is no joke on the ground either. Uh he's got a pretty good uh submission game. Um but yeah, I mean Chris Lytle I think is he's got the experience in the in the big show over uh Matt Brown and uh you know, against better fighters. That and he is impossible to finish, mm. which Matt Brown has shown that uh, you know he he can be put away. Although I would lean towards this fight going to a, a decision, which should be fight of the night. But um, I, I don't really see him being put away by Chris Lytle. But um, yeah, Chris Lytle is damn near impossible to be finished. The only fight I've ever seen where he got finished was actually by a cut. So you know, yeah, the the fight got stopped, but it's not like a, a real knockout or a submission. He's he's really good at holding on, even though he does get his ass kicked sometimes. Mm. Um, he he can continue the fight. I mean, when he fought Josh Koscheck, that was a pretty brutal ass beating. But you know, he held on for that full 15 minutes, even though it looked like he was going to die at the end. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. So um, yeah, no fun fun out of fights. I mean, the other thing, other than that, I mean, we get the rematch between Stefan Bonner and Kristoff. Uh, Sosinski, which um, I'm not too excited. I wasn't too excited for the first fight. I guess it'll be nice to have some closure because it was the uh, uh, cut to Stefan Bonner from a headbutt, it's, I believe. Yeah. And, and then they gave you know, Stefan Bonner lost the fight, and then he appealed it, and they didn't give him the uh, they didn't give him the appeal, which is ridiculous because it was clearly a headbutt. And yeah, but they don't tend to do yeah. that. That's just a, that's just a sad state of MMA, I guess. But uh, I mean, uh, it. I, I guess I got proven wrong a few months back when uh, I was arguing that like that was actually the rule, and I, I guess that's not the rule. But I, yeah, I've never heard of a fight being overturned because of a illegal TKO. It's the same like with a ball kick TKO um, or like an eye poke. I mean, I, I guess it could be overturned, but I've never actually seen it happen. Right. But, but then again, you know. Other than if you're just kind of counting your record, for the great scheme of things, it doesn't really matter after, you know, a couple of weeks. Like, we get to talk about how, um, you know, you just came off your wing, you just got your loss that you didn't deserve. But a few days later, you know, nobody really cares that you lost to that guy anymore, and especially a few years later. Um, I mean, at this point, I don't care that Stefan Bonner has a loss yeah. to Christoph Szczynski. He does, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, uh, He'll get the chance to avenge that. Much like uh, when Anthony Johnson fought Kevin Burns and got poked in the eye. Like, that was that was a terrible thing. And, um, you know, he certainly did not deserve that loss. But a couple months later, didn't care anymore. He's recovered, yeah. Yeah. But, um, no, so we'll see how that goes out. I mean, I don't even 
want to bother predicting that fight. It just seems like not a not a relevant fight to me. And, but uh, you know, I don't know. I'm gonna go with uh, Szczynski. Yeah, I mean, like Stefan Bonner, uh, he's he's a likable guy. You know, he kind of seemed to be like one of the more reasonable guys in the first season of The Ultimate Fighter. But then he just hasn't evolved a lot. You know, he put on that great, you know, the the, the you know the big fight for the UFC against Forrest Griffin, and you know, some people thought he won it, that sort of thing. Uh, but since then, he just hasn't seemed to be like able to uh, to evolve with the sport, and he's had some injury issues and some other issues uh, outside of the ring. And um, yeah, I mean, he gets wins when the people. You know, when UFC puts him up against somebody who sucks. But he also kind of lost to Mark Coleman. Yeah, I was, I was going to point out. And that, that, that says mm-hmm. a thing or two about him. Um, I think that Szczynski certainly has more potential. I don't see him as ever being a, a top guy either. Right. But um, he's still growing, and uh, Bonner isn't. Yeah. So while I don't really remember their first fight too much other than the end, I just kind of remember it being kind of a brawl and yeah. pretty damn close. So I bet if they were pretty damn close six months ago or whatever, I bet Szczynski is probably a little better now than Bonner. Yeah. Plus he has a cooler nickname, the Polish Experiment. Yeah, well, that's kind of a ripoff of uh, not really Fedor's nickname because Fedor was the last emperor, but he had the Russian experiment kind of given to him by the fans. Mm. Um I don't know if that was around before Szczynski had a nickname, because I don't know really a whole lot of Szczynski's career before the Ultimate Fighter Season 8. I know he was in the IFL, but I don't really know how long he's been around. But I'd heard that name before I heard of him, yeah. Yeah. that jerk. <laughs> uh, other other fights, um, tough Season 10 um, runner-up, Brendan Schaub is back in action against Chris, going to mess up his last name, Tuxurer. And um, I don't know, he's... Uh, I don't know much about Tuxer, but he's got a, his most recent win over Tim Haig, uh, majority decision UFC 109. Um, so yeah, no no super deep thoughts on this one. I mean, Brendan Schaub is still very green, but he he of of, of the fighters of season 10, there wasn't a lot to be impressed with on that show, but he had at least pretty good potential, and part of that is his his background, his athleticism. Yeah, um, and he's got he, a good right hand. Yeah. Uh, but he's he's just still growing, you know. So we'll we'll see how he does against uh, Texture. But uh, you know, I, I I give Shab the nod here, and I think the UFC is again not like you know, it, it's always hard to plan ahead for fighters. You know, like oh we want to, you know, as we saw with the the Fedor uh, Verdum fight, you can't. It's hard to build towards big fights. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, the UFC mostly has been willing to give their the the tough veterans, the guys who are coming out of that show. You know, they're like, hey, we're gonna, we want to see you progress. We're gonna give you some fights that, you know, are winnable for you. That sort of thing. That it should give you some challenges, but uh, not not a cakewalk, but something that you should be able to win. They set them up for success, but the fighters still have to go out there and, yeah. t- you know, get that success. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the UFC definitely likes to to build them up, especially the younger guys. I mean, we're seeing Roy Nelson get thrown to the wolves here now, but you know, that's also Roy Nelson who's He's fought Andre Arlovsky before. Uh, so he's more of the exception rather than the rule. Yeah. And Brennan Schaub, uh, much newer in the game, uh, so the the slow buildup is going to be much more beneficial to him. I mean, if Roy Nelson was being built up slowly now, there would be a huge outcry, I think. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I like Brendan Schaub in this also. Um, I'm really not too familiar with this other guy Yeah. Uh, with the impossible to say name, so I'm just going to avoid him and call him that guy. That guy. Or maybe just Chris, because that I can say. Yeah. Uh, I know a guy named Chris. But, um, yeah, I- I'm going to go with Brendan here. He- he's got a lot of upside, I think. Um, you, know, you know how old he is? Cause, I mean, he seems pretty young, 
but he was in and out of the NFL, although that doesn't really mean a whole lot. Yeah, I don't know. I think he's in his 20s, but uh, that's just kind of a like late 20s, I would, I would guess. Yeah, I mean, if he's uh, if he's around that age, that could be a lot of potential uh, for that guy. Yeah, I think I think he's around 27 or something. Looks like I believe. So that's not too bad. Still plenty of time to you know got a few more years before you uh, become an old man in MMA. So he's, exactly, uh, he should be good. Um, other than that, uh, the Kimbo Killer is back. Seth Petrozelli. Yay! Mm-hmm. And um, I'm kind of surprised they brought him back after Kimbo got dropped. Honestly, I thought they were going to do that rematch. Yeah, that was kind of weird timing. Um, so, I mean, he wasn't really up to a whole lot, and he was signed to fight Ken Shamrock in Australia. I don't know what happened to that. I mean, that obviously can't be happening anymore. But, yeah, um, yeah I, I remember hearing about it being signed, and I never heard about it being unsigned. Yeah, but uh, he's taking on Ricardo Romero, and, uh, again, no... No deep insight for me on this other than, um, I don't know, what what hair color is Seth Petrozelli going to be rocking when he comes out on Saturday night? I don't know. Uh, I'm going to go with green. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh, Ricardo Romero does have a uh, – got a win over uh, James McSweeney a few fights back, who's, you know, not that impressive, but, uh, you know, people are familiar with him from Tough Season 10 as well. Yeah, well, he fought to the quarterfinals of that and beat up titties in the uh, finale. <laughs> But right. lost a fight, what, two weeks ago? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we were just talking about that on the last podcast. Yeah, I got, got beat up pretty bad. So, um, yeah, it's hard to say. And, you know, Seth Petrozelli's an interesting he, – he's – it was funny because, you know, <laughs> when he beat Kimbo, people were like, wow, that's kind of crazy. But if you really think about it, you're like, you know, Seth Petrozelli, even though he was fighting up a weight class against Kimbo, is like – He's a legit fighter. Again, not a world beater, but like... Yeah, he's an actual mixed martial artist. Right. He's he's certainly uh, got decent skills. So if, you know, people looked at that fight analytically and were like, yeah, uh, Seth Pertuzzelli's probably going to win this fight. Um, so, yeah. I, I, and it'll be interesting to see how he's handled now that he's got the, the, the Kimbo win back when beating Kimbo was a big deal, you know. And, and it's been a while, so I don't know if people will still remember him for that or what. Well, maybe if he dyes his hair pink, people will recognize him. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see. But uh, he's he's been featured in a few of uh, Tom Lawler's entrances, I believe. So oh, nice. maybe we'll get a crazy entrance as well. Who knows? I hope so. And you know, if I were him, honestly, I would change my name from the Silverback to just the Kimbo Slayer. Yeah, because the Silverback is a stupid ass name. You're not a gorilla, Seth. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what you have done is you've beaten Kimbo. You destroyed the myth. And uh, I guess the myth is still going, but you destroyed it for you know a little while. Yeah. And uh, you know his last UFC fight was uh, back in '07, uh, fight night nine. Yeah. Wow. Wilson Govea took a loss to submission. Uh, before that, took a loss in the UFC to uh, Matt, Matt Hamill, Hamill. I think. Yeah, he doesn't really have any UFC success. I think he won a fight in the house on the Ultimate Fighter back in like, season two. Yeah. But hasn't really found any success. Um. On the bigger show, yeah. but you know maybe he will today. How was there a UFC event called the Final Chapter mm-hmm. back in '06, and then there's still? Uh... I believe that's the final chapter to the Tito uh, Ken Shamrock okay. feud, not the final chapter to the UFC. I was like, well, they didn't they didn't live up to that. It's like Final Fantasy bad. Jeez, come on, made like 13 of them. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Seth Petrozelli's last win was uh, just a. Uh, I think a month ago or so, I believe over in Britain, but uh looks like he got a win, submission, armbar over uh, 
Ryan White, who I don't know. Awesome. But, uh, so, he's, but he's coming off a, a slew of wins, you know, uh, four, rattled off four wins in a row since that loss at, uh, back in '07. So, I don't know. He's got he's got momentum on. Maybe favor Seth Petrozelli here, but again, just not knowing too much about you know, honestly, not knowing too much about either of these guys. It's hard to pick them. Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree. Um, the fight below that is actually a little more interesting. Kendall Grove versus Goran Rezik. Yes. Which um, is no longer on the televised prelims for Spike. Oops. Way to go, Kendall. Yeah. Idiot. Huh? What happened? Oh, he was talking smack about Spike TV. He was he was giving away the magic tricks. Is what he was doing. What? Really? Yeah, he was talking about how Spike TV executives only care about ratings and uh, we're trying to get the guys to go crazy. And basically saying how Spike TV ran the Ultimate Fighter and not the UFC, um, which um, whether uh, it's a reality re- television show, right? And uh, you know, not to comment on whether that's true or not, it might be. Um, clearly, your bosses with in the UFC are not going to be happy with you t- yeah. talking like that. Uh, you know, in, in the media, that sort of thing. So he's been relegated to the undercard that won't be on t- TV. Yeah, he's gonna be free. He was going to be on the free on Spike card and. No, he's not. Well, I mean, you know, good, I mean, good for him, kind of, sort of, you know, speaking his mind about it. But, I mean, when you get to this point in our culture where we've had so many years of reality television, like, obviously the fights aren't rigged. But, yes, like, they, you know, sometimes supply you with alcohol in yes. those shows. They they say things like, hey, Kendall, we want you to be Kendall, but just at a hundred times Kendall. Be right. more Kindle than you've ever been Kindle before. Right, like that should be news to anyone. I think the issue there is just it's the UFC just not wanting people to talk about it. And I think his kind of and I I, I try I can't pull, haven't pulled up his exact quote, but I think the assertion there was kind of like that the uh, Spike TV. It was almost the accusations have been thrown uh, at Showtime running Strike Force as opposed to Strike Force running Strike Force. It's like Spike TV is the one who's saying which fighters are going to be in the house, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's personalities that get in, not the good fighters, which. People who watch the show kind of know that already. But right? he was in it. I was just <laughs> calling him a bad fighter. He's just he's, but he's doing everyone a service by revealing the secrets behind. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Kendall is also hands down one of the dumbest people to ever enter the octagon. <laughs> if you've ever had the chance to hear him talk, the guy's an idiot, and he doesn't know what a primate is. Oh, that that's him. Huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that guy. Wait, what? Oh, um, a, a few years ago. Uh, Mickey's website had, like, ask a mixed martial art or a question. Oh. And they had, like, five guys, and he was one of them. Mayhem was one of them, too. He really? was the funny one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you just, like, have 15 questions that you could click on, and then they'd have, like, this filmed response to him. And, yeah, a lot of them had, like, the same questions, and a lot of them had the same answers, like, well, Tito and... BJ Penn is like, my favorite primate is a silverback gorilla. What a beast of an animal. <laughs> but then Kendall Grove is like, what's a primate? You hear like a little guy laughing in the background like, no, nah, seriously, dog. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it doesn't really have a whole lot of effect on him as a fighter, but he's dumb as hell. Yeah. All right, here's the, I, I pulled up the Kendall Grove quote that got him in trouble here. Um, let's see. Spike TV pretty much runs everything on the Ultimate Fighter. They could be subleasing the UFC name, but I'm sure Dana and the UFC are getting a nice little paycheck from Spike. Other than that, Spike runs the thing. Dana doesn't choose who's going to be on the show. It's Spike Executives. Da 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 da. Blah blah blah. Ellipsis. Everything is ratings to these guys. Yeah. So. Um, Etc. Et all we are to them is cattle and sheep. Well, duh. 
But you think you were a Kendall? You're, you're a performing primate is what you are. No, he, don't say that to him. He's not going to know what he's you're talking what, about. What are you calling me, dude? A clown? <laughs> yeah. You think I'm some sort of lizard over here? Right. But, yeah, it, it, this has got to be exciting. Again, not speaking to the credibility or the, uh, you know, whether those claims, uh, accusations are true or not. But, yeah, you got to expect that when you badmouth your employer, make claims against your employer, whether or not it's true, you're going to get in trouble for that, you know. You know yeah. yeah. So that, and especially since this is on Spike TV, Kendall, you were going yeah. to be on Spike TV. Why would you talk bad about Spike TV when you're about to be on it? So and, and he's not going to be on it anymore. As soon as you step foot in the Ultimate Fighter house, it's about show business. Yeah, and at that did, point. Yeah. And he said know. this on Tap Out uh, Radio, which was great. So, uh, Tap Out has a radio, apparently. Tap Out Live Radio. Just one radio. <laughs> That's a boombox. <laughs> Shaquille O'Neal's trapped in it. Yeah, made a Kazam reference. That's funny. Yeah, tap out radio. He made the uh, the comments too. So, uh, oops. Yeah, way to go. I'd be pissed if I was Goran. Like he yeah. just lost his spot on TV. Yep. Oh well. Go uh, Goran. <laughs> yeah, mini Crocop. <laughs> yeah. So um, I don't know. Kendall and just. I don't even know if we broke down the fighters should bother this one. But Kendall Grove's so uneven. Yeah. Like, he's just, like, you know, ups and downs. He's and, had probably the most up-and-down career of any fighter that's, yeah. uh, you know, spent a lot of time in the UFC. And if he loses, after, especially after the, this incident, he might end up getting cut. Like, he's been in danger of getting cut before just because, you know, he hasn't been able to string together quality amounts of wins. Uh, you know, taking a few bad uh, back-to-back losses, um, but especially now, you know, he's coming off a lot, the loss to Mark Munoz mm, at UFC that's right. So, and then if he takes another loss, two in a row is not necessarily grounds for getting cut, but two in a row plus bad-mouthing your bosses, maybe grounds for getting cut. Two in a row is grounds for getting cut, other than the fact that he's an Ultimate Fighter winner. Yeah. So, he's kind of got that safety net, but then, you know, the Ultimate Fighter winner who just talks smack about the UFC... But then I think if he does get cut, would that make him the first Ultimate Fighter winner to be cut? Ooh. I think it might be. Yeah, I don't know. Off the top of my head, I would I think so, but um, I I can't say with how much certainty I. Actually, no. I think Travis Luter got cut, but he was from the season of uh, the the season the comeback season. So most of those guys got cut anyway. Yeah. That was kind of the the funky season. Yeah, Travis Luter. Yeah. The, the lost season of the Ultimate Fighter. It's the one that I always forget even happened. Yeah. Oh, man. But um, I don't know. It's, and Gordon Relic's take coming off of a loss to CB Dalloway. So um, I don't know. Yeah. It's I think kind I, of a toss-up for me, honestly. I think I'm actually going to lean with uh, Goran on this one. Um, Kendall's going to have the reach advantage because he's really tall for a, a middleweight. Yeah. And, um, and Goran's not, not short. I mean, he's 6'3", but, yeah, Kendall Grove's kind of uh, freaky tall. He's like 6'6", six, six or something, isn't he? He's a big dude. I believe so. Um, but, you know, Goran is mini crow cop, so, uh, you know, he's, he's got some outstanding kicks. He got out-wrestled in his fight against C.B. Dalloway, but I don't see uh, I don't see Kendall having the wrestling to do that. So I think what, what uh, he's going to want to do, Kendall's going to want to try and, and clinch up and maybe uh, kind of drag him to the ground where he can work his jiu-jitsu, but I don't know that I see that happening. Yeah. Especially since he's so dumb, he won't even think about it. But, uh, yeah, in all seriousness, he's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> that and uh, I think Goran's going to win. All right. Uh, that being said, I will um, 
I don't necessarily disagree with your analysis, but I'll, I'll go with Kendall Grove on here just because he's, he's shown the ability to um, win fights when he has to, and I think this is another one of those examples, like he needs to win a fight or he might not have a job with the UFC anymore. So um, I guess we'll see how it plays out, but uh, I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on this one. But uh, Kendall Grove, uh, keep your Hannibal mask on. Yeah. yeah. Don't talk. See what else we got going on here. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, I don't really have a whole lot of thoughts about any of the other fights. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Gerald Harris, Dave Branch, Daniel Roberts, Force Pets, and John Madsen, Carlos Vimola. And uh, John Madsen also coming off the season 10 of Tough, I believe, right? Heavyweights. Yeah, uh, Madsen. Yeah. So uh, those guys are also fighting. Probably won't see their fights. Probably not. Um, but, you know, who knows? Yeah. If they're exciting, we might. Right, know. quick and exciting, we might might get to see them. Um, yeah, and Anything I look else? forward to DVRing this and watching it on July 5th or something like that, because uh, I'm going to be doing July 4th stuff. So we'll, see well it's on 3rd, isn't it? July 3rd. Yeah, I'm going to be out of town like the whole weekend. Oh, okay. oh are you going out of town? Yeah, I'm going to be. Oh, my gosh, my roommate bought some firecrackers. <laughs> it's gonna be awful at my house this weekend. It's just gonna, be, gonna be shooting them off here. Well, he, he he bought like ones that you can tie a string to. So he like he tied one to a door and he opened it up and it's like the pop ones or you know the ones where you throw on the floor and it goes pop. You know, really bad. Yeah. You know, fa- bad. It's uh, it's like the ones where you can mess with people, not ones that you know have fire, but just loud noises gotcha. and startling. So I'm gonna have that to deal with. All, all weekend long. Yeah, have fun with that. I might be going out of town this weekend also. Uh, it's still a little up in the air. Yeah? Yeah. Well, who, right on. Who knows? Well, you know, record it anyways, and yeah, probably watching it on Yeah, watch, on watch it afterwards. Day. Yeah. All right, well, stay tuned for the first half of the show, uh, where we talk <laughs> about Strike Force. Uh, I, I think it's probably a wise idea to get the stuff that's coming up, and then have our huge breakdown but of Strike Force. But lost, like... That's, that's yeah, insane. that, that is huge news, but it's like, how, you know, should we just leave it the way it was? I think we should leave this part in, too. Oh, definitely. Because oh. this is crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. I was talking about us mixing, mixing the show up. People yeah. are going to be walking in here or listening to this, and they'll be like, what the hell are these guys talking about? I'm just thinking that they'll find out that, uh, you know, Fedor, you know, lost and everything. And then, you know, they... Well, they already know that. Yeah, so the they'll hear... on fire. They'll, they'll hear all the news about, you know, UFC 116 first, which is going to be coming up, and then they can hear us talking about Fedor for 45 minutes, which is really good stuff. Stay tuned for it. Yeah. Well, there's one other thing I think we should get into. Um, this was on MMA Torch earlier. Apparently, there was a death yes. in the sport. The yeah. second one ever. Recently, yeah. Um guy named Michael Kirkham down in South Carolina, who was a, a 30-year-old guy, apparently a six foot nine lightweight, which is insane sounding to me. I can't even picture that. But um, down in South Carolina, they don't do as much um, pre-fight tests. I guess they do a, a pretty simple blood test, and um, that's about it. Uh, they, they don't do like a CAT scan or an MRI, so there's no real knowledge as to whether or not there was um, any kind of pre-existing conditions. Right. It's it's pretty pretty soon to like even speculate on that, but it was just a really bizarre incident. Um, the the guy got knocked out, and um, uh, supposedly there wasn't like a whole lot of you know pounding afterwards. Uh, anyone who was there said you know the stoppage was. You know, good. It was. It wasn't like he, uh, you know, took a, a shot like the one Dan Henderson gave to Michael Bisping. 
And uh, he uh, just never woke up, I guess. Yeah, uh, I'm looking at a couple different reports, and they said it might have been from... Um, the preliminary reports were uh, bleeding inside the brain, so brain hemorrhage. Uh, autopsy scheduled for this week to have more. Uh, and just, you know, I, I was reading some news stories about this, and people were kind of curious, like, oh, did, was he slammed or something like that? Or people know what happened? And question, you know, his size, that sort of thing. And, and I mean, th- that that's certainly all warrants discussion at some later date, but, I mean, it's just another a, a sad instance that, you know, it, it happens in all kinds of sports. And, you know, I, th- I think for as, as violent as a sport of MMA is, not violent in a grotesque way, but just, you know, it's a combat sport. You guys are punching and kicking each other, um, you know. The amount of deaths that have not occurred has been impressive, but, you know, you've got to expect the stuff every once in a while, and, you know, it's a sad event when it does happen. And You know, hopefully um, some good will come out of this, whether it's, you know, better fighter safety issues in South Carolina or, or whatever ever issues were, if there was any contributing issues aside from what happened directly in the cage or the ring, you know, but it's just a, you know, it's a tragedy whenever something like this happens, whether it's, you know, a bad hit in su- or in in uh, football or you know whatever sport it is you know. Yeah, um, I, I definitely agree with that. I hope that what comes out of it is, uh, you know, maybe just more rigorous testing. Because um, I mean, this was a, a state commission running the show. It wasn't like here in Alaska where you know anything mm. goes. Um, I, I mean, they, they did have uh, they did have a regulating body and. Uh, you know, I, I understand uh, that you, you kind of want to pinch pennies here and there, um, and uh, running multiple tests can be uh, can be pretty expensive, especially on the, the low end of the scale. But um, you know, when you're in a sport where people are getting uh, blunt trauma to the head, and you know, like when your objective is to knock your opponent out, you know, I, I guess brain scans are probably warranted for that kind of thing. Right, and yeah, like. At this point, it's just too early to say whether that was an issue or not. And uh, yeah, I mean that, that's purely speculation. Yeah. But yeah, no, and and I mean, but I mean, we were uh, the question kind of came up about like you know just regulation and safety issues. You know, even after the last UFC fight night where Matt Hamill fought with a staff infection, and you're like, how does uh, you know how are these guys getting cleared to fight? Are are the most uh, rigorous tests being done, or people like even examining? You know, what what's all going into the pre-fight stuff? And again, you know absolutely nothing outside of the ring could have contributed to this guy's death. We just don't know at this point. But, uh, yeah, hopefully something positive for the sport can come out of this, um, you know, if, if that's possible. Our so. deepest condolences yeah. to the family yeah. and everybody. and That's just awful. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's the way to end the show. I it's guess, a way. It? Yeah. And, uh, Unless, of course, this is the end of the Act 1. I don't know. It looks like we're going to have some discussions about it. It looks like Tobin's not too crazy about that idea. <laughs> Just reading his body language. Well, in my defense, uh, my contact uh, started bothering me in my right eye, like uh, 20 minutes into the show. Yeah. I saw you just picking at it the whole night. Yeah, and then like I was crying at one point. I thought you were just crying about Fedor losing, uh, actually, because I know that a lot of people have been pretty upset about it. And I, some guys in this building where we're recording this were like really upset that Fedor lost. Yeah. <laughs> it was like you know Santa Claus. Like they found out Santa Claus <laughs> doesn't exist or something. He oh doesn't? my God! Uh oh. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Yeah, but um, 
Well, yeah, thanks for tuning in, no yeah. matter what you hear after this. It's been a real pleasure to have you with us. Please uh, go to our Facebook, Twitter, just look for the audio choke. We're here at MMATorch.com. Download the uh, podcast on iTunes. And like every week, I'm Greg Rowland. I'm Toby Shelby. I'm Matt Collins. We'll catch you next time. You know what I think I'll do is I think I'll break it uh, in half and then put the the last half at the beginning, so it'll be like a backwards episode. Because now we can get right to this UFC 116, the new stuff. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, That's a good idea. Why don't Why don't we just do a Pulp Fiction episode and you just like take 10 minute bits and then just throw them wherever you want? Well, I think that'd be a bit more editing than I'm willing to do. <laughs> It'd be pretty edgy, though, you got to admit. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, uh... It might be pretty crazy for the listener, though. They'd be like, what's going on? I don't understand. They were just talking about Fedor fighting, yeah. and now it's, uh, you know, whatever the co-man event is. Brock Chris Lesnar! Yeah. <laughs> yeah.